the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Return of the Living Dead, stars Clue Gulliger, James Karen, and Tom Matthews. What's up, guys? Do you want to party? It's zombie time on Podcasting After Dark. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. I'm really excited. (laughs) (laughs) And this week we're doing Return of the Living Dead Part 1. Actually, uh, this is going to be a month of Return of the Living Dead. We are going to be doing Part 1 and Part 2, back-to-back. So in in two weeks, you'll be having uh, getting Part 2 as well. But uh, Zach, buddy boy... Uh, Return of the Living Dead, my man, and and this is this is my pick, so I'll be your showrunner for this episode and the next one, uh, Corey, your buddy here. And uh, but Zach, what is your connection to uh, Return of the Living Dead? Have you seen this before? Have you seen it in the past? I think um, not as often as you have, but Return of the Living Dead was a staple in the Schaefer household since I was. 10 years old, all the way up into my late 30s, I believe. Let Um, me guess, uh, Eric introduced this one to you? Oh, of course, my brother Eric. Shout out to my brother Eric. (laughs) Shout Uh, out every episode to Eric. (laughs) And I will give a shout out to my homie Jamal, because when I was in high school, I was like, dude, we got to watch this. He's like, okay, let's do this. And I think we watched it probably twice a month for the better part of two years. And the soundtrack, I had the soundtrack on cassette when I was a kid. Uh, we probably rented this movie ad nauseum. $2 late fee was in full effect, uh, racking up $2 late fee charges because we weren't returning it on time. Uh, yeah, this movie <laughs> And I'm sure is, the tape was, was the tape uh, uh, worn out at a certain part in the movie with Linnea Quigley doing her dance? Yeah, I have mixed feelings, but... Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that, we'll get to that. <laughs> but but I, will, I will say that, that, that this movie has... It, in my opinion, is, if not the greatest, one of the greatest zombie movies of all time. Yes, I am right there with you, buddy. I've been watching this movie at least once a year for as long as I can remember. And like you said, I don't know if it's my favorite zombie movie. It's definitely top three. It probably cycles between my favorite. You know, this one, maybe uh, Dawn of the Dead or something, kind of cycle back and forth. But I love, love love Return of the Living Dead. And I'm not the biggest fan of mashups, like horror comedy kind of mashups. I like things to sort of be in their genre. Now, that's not to say I I love Evil Dead. Uh, I love Reanimator. But I think that doing a horror mashup is is a real hard thing to do. Because if you lean too far into the comedy, you lose the horror. If you lean too far in the horror, you lose the comedy. It has to be a perfect balance. And I think this movie is a prime example of perfectly balancing horror and comedy together. Yeah, this came out roughly around the same time that Fright Night came out, and I feel about Fright Night the way you do about Return of the Living Dead. When it's done right, horror comedy is it's gold. Shaun of the Dead, I think, was the last example of a horror comedy that worked, uh, and that also being a zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, and quite possibly another one of the greatest zombie movies of all time, too. Uh, definitely in the top five. 
But yeah, actually, Fright- real, real quick, I gotta yeah. say with uh, Shaun of the Dead, it's one of my favorite zombie outbreaks. Um, every zombie movie sort of has to show how the outbreak sort of goes, and I like how in Shaun of the Dead it was all sort of in the background. It was all sort of just happening around him where he didn't really pay attention to it. And I thought that was very realistic, even though it was like done for laughs and clearly done in a comedic style. I still thought it was kind of cool because he just didn't pay attention to it, and but yet you could see it happening in the background. I love Shaun of the Dead, and Shaun of the Dead owes its, I think, very existence to this movie right here. Yeah, I think I feel like Edgar Wright at one point uh, had said this is an homage to all his favorite zombie movies, uh, Return of the Living Dead definitely being at the top of that list, and I, I absolutely agree with you. It, it, it is, that movie would not have happened or would not have been made the way it was if it wasn't for Return of the Living Dead and other films that kind of paved the way. And Return of the Living Dead, for me, came out at a weird time because when I saw it, I had just seen Dawn of the Dead. I saw Dawn of the Dead first out of all zombie movies. And then I started revisiting Night and Day and Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things and Plague of the Zombies and The Living Dead uh, of Manchester Morgue, which is a very underrated, great zombie, British zombie movie. I actually have seen that, and it goes by a different name, does it not? Um, uh, Sometimes, I think, right? Yes, it has three different titles i think uh off the top of my head i don't know what those titles are i can look it up really easily nah, it's it's okay we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll we'll put it on the reddit page or something but yeah i've seen that one too i like that one and i'm with you i think i saw dawn of the dead was probably my first zombie movie um as far as ramiro stuff goes i actually lean towards day of the dead a bit more i i love Me how too. nihilistic it is uh it's, it's just such a bleak film and uh, i really enjoyed of course i enjoyed dawn of the dead i actually really like dawn of the dead remake um, I actually actually really enjoy Land of the Dead, uh, George Romero's fourth zombie movie in the series. I thought it was a really cool mixture of Mad Max meets zombies. I thought they did a okay. pretty good job there. It kind of went downhill with Survival and Diary of the Dead. I mean, those were still George Romero films, um, but they they weren't as good. And then, but uh, Return of the Living Dead has has its own crazy legacy with Return of the Living Dead Part Two, which is you know we'll get to in two weeks, which is super silly. And then Return of the Living Dead Part Three, which I enjoy because it was one of the first movies that. I saw how different the director's cut was from the actual theatrical cut. And, like, so right around Return of the Living Dead Part 3 and Jason Goes to Hell, I was a big, I was full on into Fangoria subscriptions and everything. And I would see all these cool shots of all these cool effects in Fangoria, and then you wouldn't see them in the movie. And then you find out that, oh, they got cut. And then you find out that there's the mythological unrated version, the director's cut, (laughs) of both of those films. And then you find out that they're they're better because they have all the horror and all the gore back in. Like, Jason Goes to Hell is a vastly better movie in the director's cut form because, I mean, the story still sucks the way it is, but you get all the gore. And it has really good gore in that movie. And so does um, Return of the Living Dead Part 3. But most of it got cut out. Yeah, I think think that was... you hit the nail on the head i think that was during a time when finally studios were waking up to the fact that people might want to see this extra footage so they release they were releasing two different versions on vhs it's funny because blockbuster would release only the r-rated versions of things and i think for a while places like hollywood video uh, ultimate video video man where i lived these were places like the mom and pop shops would carry the unrated versions of these things and they would rent really well. And studios started going, Oh, we can make a ton of money off 
releasing one version so the MPAA is happy, and then we'll release the other version and it'll be like a whole new experience opening up this world. And I really, I, we'd have to do some digging for it, but I feel like Return of Living Dead Part 3 might have been one of the first, and Jason Goes to Hell, the first like full-on unrated version kind of thing um, where, where it's like it's like it's something you actually want to see you know it's, yeah. it's go out of your way to find out and for me it was um i remember suncoast video would be the place where you would get all the unrated versions or tower records or something um i didn't have a lot of uh, i worked at a mom and pop video store i was randall from clerks growing up but the video <laughs> store that i worked at was primarily an adult store you know like it got all of its business from the adult videos <laughs> and all the all the regular videos in the front were just crap that we bought from other people. You know, like it was all just used VHSs. <laughs> uh, sad. I remember when that store kind of closed down and I, all those VHS tapes and I could just like the dust and the smell and everything. And I'm like, man, these things are, are garbage. And now we're in 2019 and, and VHS tapes are becoming retro and, you know, like actually expensive. Like people want them because at the time yeah. I, I got rid of when I transitioned to DVD, I got rid of a lot of my VHSs assuming that those movies would be transferred over to DVD, but then we find out that a lot of them didn't make it. Yeah, I did the exact the exact same thing. I was working I same deal as you. You and I are very similar carbon copies of each other. That's why we're bros. But uh Yeah, bruh. But I remember when V when DVD first came out, I forget what the first DVD was, but I remember when they were first rolling out and everybody was excited about it, and I sold all my VHS tapes to Rasputin Records or whatever local like buyback place was at the time, uh, CD Warehouse in Sunnyvale. But um, and I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna take all this money and I'm gonna buy oh three DVDs because they would only give you a <laughs> yes. couple bucks. And now, yeah, you look at it, you go on eBay and you try to find the VHS versions of these movies, and they're so expensive, which is really annoying because you're like, it's really not worth. 20 bucks anymore it's really not but it people, really is because the well, box the boxes are great and the sad thing is yeah. you almost want the boxes to be beat up now and everything because you want to like recapture that that childhood feeling but then there's so many people who are making like your your buddy um uh what mailman monster where he makes like the the keychain yeah. sorry yeah sorry about that monster mailman where he makes like the keychains that look like vhs tapes and stuff like that that's that's cool man i like that aesthetic oh yeah that he is an amazing artist and i love what he does i just i feel like uh when i was a kid i would go to suncoast and i wanted to get the pristine brand new copy where i would take a razor and slice the the uh, shrink wrap because i wouldn't want to damage the box or i'd go in and i would have to find the box that was perfectly removed from the shipping box because if it had any sort of dent on it or i put the vhs tape in and if it kind of blipped in the beginning i'm like no i'm taking it back and i did i would take that just over like a little thing because maybe the the tape was crinkled in the beginning all those things when i was a kid i was like it has to be perfect and now yeah i full agreement with you i go now and i'm like oh i love the retro stickers oh it's got that old school video store label on it these are the time machine things that from our childhood that our parents i don't think our parents collected like we do now but definitely the the getting that beat up box and monster mailman taps into that so if you're listening to this and you don't know who monster mailman is go on instagram he's also on facebook too and he makes custom vhs tapes there's a few people out there making these now uh but he's really the guy on the forefront of like custom radical like unique 
keepsakes and they're keychains, so they're practical. It's not like, oh, it sits on my shelf. I have a couple of them. He actually made one for uh, a custom one for my other podcast, $2 Late Fee. And I think he'll have to make one for us as well, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I think so too, dude. I, I really want one. And I was telling, <laughs> telling my wife that eventually, like, I want to have like a, a bookshelf of all the Blu-rays of the movies, you know, that we've done on here, uh, like in order. But honestly, it might actually just be better to have him, you know, order like a, a little VHS keychain for each each movie, you know, and just kind of have him sort of hanging up. I think that'd be kind of cool. But either way, his stuff's really neat. And he, like you said, he's definitely tapping into the cultural zeitgeist of the time right now, which is just very retro. Uh, everyone yeah. our age just wants to live in, in the 80s and the past. And, you know, it was, it was a simpler time when, when we didn't have, so much uh political strife going on but you know we we did but we just didn't we didn't know it at the time right like we were too young that's the point like there's always been like all kinds of crazy shit happening we were just too young to even pick up on it but um well it's funny it's funny you say that because i was just at disneyland the other day and there's this ride there called the zephyr and i think it's it's like a 1920s version of the future like hey everybody get on the zephyr yeah and they're talking like this and it was a simpler time back Back in the 1920s, when and it's the woman is a woman narrating the whole thing, you know. And yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm joking with my wife, uh, and she and I'm like, hi, yeah, it was a simpler time when I couldn't vote. In fact, I had no <laughs> rights whatsoever. But it was a good time. And, <laughs> and that's what's funny when people like talk about going back to simpler times. I'm like, well, maybe it was for white people, but for everyone else, yeah. this is pretty much the best time you could possibly live in. You know? Yeah. Sadly, she, sadly, <laughs> as our world crumbles to an end. That's a whole yeah, other podcast. Much. Actually, that's kind of perfect if you think about it. We're returning to the dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's what? So what was? So I went off on a tangent on my experience of Return of Living Dead. What was your experience? Your first? What was your virgin experience with ROTLD? Buddy, I've I've been watching this movie as long as I can remember, and I've I've owned it, owned it multiple times. It would be rented all the same as you, man. I just me and my buddy Luke. Uh, you guys pretty much hear me talk about Luke almost every episode. He uh, not my brother, but I've known him since second grade. He was my horror movie friend. We would, you know, just stay up all night watching horror movies. I was uh, talking to him the other night um, uh, when we were, like, playing, because we'll still play games together online, PlayStation or something. And I was like, he was talking about something, like, maybe The Burning or whatever. And I was like, why didn't you ever show, like, why didn't you show me, like, that, you know, as a kid? And then I realized, I was like, damn, I was like, if I didn't watch it with Luke, I probably didn't see it because... On my own, I think I would play, like, more video games. On my own, I sort of leaned more towards sci-fi. Um, I would watch a lot of Aliens, watch a lot of uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. I'd play video games. I'd draw. But when I was with Luke, I would watch horror movies. Like, that was, like, when I really got into horror movies. So, I was, But if he didn't show it to me, I kind of didn't see it for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but it's probably, like, you and Eric, right? Like, it's it, some things just kind of slid past you. And then, of course, like, sometimes, like... Like, I think we talked about a previous episode, like, I would watch a lot of these horror movies in summertime down at my dad's in Roanoke, and, like, we didn't have a blockbuster there. We had, like, a mom-and-pop video store that was attached to a convenience store. So I'm, like, I'm looking back on it, and I'm, like, oh, yeah, they probably they didn't have the buying power to have every single movie so they just kind of probably had to just pick and choose what they thought would do well and yeah some movies i just never literally didn't have an act i i literally didn't have access to some movies because of that yeah i remember uh places like that that would have a really small section of everything and but they'd mostly stock up on horror films because horror and sci-fi was like the go-to for a friday night 
it would cater to the you know the guys on a date with his girlfriend or whatever. And I think too when you think about it, like like a lot of times like a comedy obviously it would be hit or miss, but then sometimes like it won't be relevant in a couple years. A horror movie can sit on the shelf and be relevant for years to come. Uh, th- this movie is a prime example of that, and oh, yeah. uh, it's because you know I, I think at our primal state, like being scared is such a very primal thing, and uh, you know it, it's as long as you can make someone jump then that movie still quote unquote holds up as a as a horror movie this movie definitely makes you jump it does it does let's uh let's jump in though we let's do some some statistics real quick uh first off this came out in 1985 and this is up there with uh fright night which we which came out in 1985 tough turf came out in 1985 and life force came out in 1985 so yeah we uh, what a great year what a fantastic year. We may have to like do some kind of full-on retrospective about the year 1985 uh, or something moving forward, but well, um the budget was 4 million. Its box office was 14 million US. So wow. that's big. That's a hit. Back in eight, that's a yeah, hit. back in 85, that's huge. That's big enough to clearly launch a franchise essentially. No doubt. Um so it was directed by Dan O'Bannon who's huge claim to fame is basically uh writing alien and and coming up with that whole uh that whole story the characters everything moving forward like so when and moving forward like with aliens and stuff he gets you know credits on imdb for that because it's based on characters he created but dan o'bannon everyone pretty much knows him from alien yeah i would say that um he it's funny because everyone does know him from alien but I now I, I I associate immediately with Return of the Living Dead first. Yeah, me too. I do too. Yeah, and he was also did a uh, Dark Star. He wrote Dark Star, which I've I've never seen Dark Star. That's at uh, 1974 with John Carpenter, but it was back when they were at USC, I think, when they yeah, filmed it. It was a student film that got released as a feature, and it's okay. I mean, it's you know, so it's kind of like THXE a little bit, uh, where it's like yeah. it's like yeah, I can see the I can see why it's special, but at the same time, it's not really that great to watch. Yeah, it's a spoof uh, of sci-fi films, so it's kind of schlocky on purpose but it's it's for me it's like i love how people are like oh you got to see it no you don't have to see everything the <laughs> filmmaker made just, just because he made a movie doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be good <laughs> you know what i'm saying no so it's, it's all right yeah oh i know what you're saying buddy <laughs> well I, we were talking about romero earlier and i know it's controversial for sure but uh it's he he made a lot of crappy movies and yeah. And, and, you know, I think he gets heralded as this icon, and I totally agree with that. I'm not disputing that. But I will say that not every one of his zombie movies was very good. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, even, like, yeah, The Crazies was okay. Um, I think I kind of liked actually liked the remake a little bit better. Um, so did I. Yeah, I, I, I actually, that was one of those movies where I bought it. In Remember, remember the clamshell cases on VHS? Oh, Anchor uh, Bay. Anchor Bay. Yeah, anchor, it was an Anchor Bay. I, I bought it. Back when, you know, you're freaking, you're still living at home, but working your, your jobs, and so you got a shit ton of money. And uh, I was like, oh, this is neat. <laughs> the box was cool. The box was box, super cool. Box was very cool. Box was super, super cool. Um, so we'll do go through the cast real quick. Uh, Bert was played by Clue Gulager, who's 
he's he's like an old school like western sort of actor when he was younger um yeah. but he's his his son is a director his son directed that movie feast um and then the prana double d uh sequel the prana, the sequel to prana double d <laughs> Um, but I, I know clue from, from this and you and I bumped into clue at, uh, the new Beverly, which is his pretty much his haunt. I I don't know if he still goes there once they've relaunched it, but apparently he was there every what Tuesday for the double features for the, uh, what were they called? The, um, the, the spider double feature, the grindhouse grindhouse double features. Yeah. And it's funny because yeah, I, I obviously know him from this film as well. But I almost was a I will I would almost say I know him from seeing him at the New Beverly all the time because he'd <laughs> yeah. roll up and at, at this point he's got to be close to ninety years old but he'd roll up in like bringing a big giant plastic bag full of food I guess and yeah. <laughs> he kind of looks a little borderline like homeless uh, and with and sometimes he wear a cowboy hat sometimes he wouldn't and he'd just sit up in the front row by himself no one would approach him. Uh, even though everyone knew who he was and total respect to the dude because they'd be like, okay, give him his space, give him his privacy. But apparently, and I never did this, but if you went up to him and just started talking to him, he was really nice to everybody and always took a moment if he wanted to take a photo with him or whatever. He was totally open to that. But yeah, apparently he still goes there. I remember when we went and met um, Michael Bean, he was, Clue Gulager was there and his son was there. And um, I know the highlight, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes for highlight, but was, you know, meeting Michael Bean. But I did yeah. take a second to, to shake uh, Clue's hand um, and, you know, talk to him for a second. He was nice as can be, just the sweetest man. He seemed very, very cool. And uh, I, I'm glad, actually, I wish I kind of like mentally gravitated more towards that. But the Michael Bean thing just kind of burned itself into into my memory, you know. But but I did yeah. meet Clue that night and, and he was very, very sweet. And I did shake his son's hand, and I do remember his son did not get up out of his chair, and he shook my <laughs> hand like a wet, like a wet noodle, and I was like, hmm, buddy boy, buddy boy, <laughs> buddy boy. Yeah, buddy I feel boy. Like didn't didn't Clue? I think Clue took a photo with us. I think we have a photo I, I, with Clue. I think we do have a photo with Clue. I want to yeah. actually dig that up. I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can find that and put that up on the uh, the Facebook page. Or the, or yeah, the that would be page. cool. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a, he's an awesome dude. I really dig dig Clue. Um, all right, my my. Uh, let's see, we got. Uh, James Karen plays Frank. Uh, I know him from this. This is what I know him from and Return of the Living Dead Part 2 because him and Tom Matthews like repraise sort of their roles as Return of the Living Dead Part 2 is like this weird reboot. Um, but I think a lot of other people know him, James Karen, as uh, in Poltergeist as he was uh, the boss in Poltergeist. The guy, I guess, owns all the land or whatever. The real estate yes. boss. Like Craig, I, oh, Craig T. Nelson's boss, I should say, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I do remember him from that. He was, I mean, he was all over the place in the '80s, the late '70s, early '80s, and he's such a great yeah. actor. He, he's he, one of the many highlights of this movie. God, he's he is hilarious so in this film. <laughs> Be brave, Frank. God damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got a uh, Don Kalfa who plays Ernie, and oh, he, Ernie. I. I only know him from this movie. I don't really know him from anything else. Do you? Well, he looks like uh, Peter Lorre, first of yes. all. The act. Um, he's got a really interesting look. Uh, I will. I'll, I'll get to. I'll tell more about it later. But um, oh yeah, he was in Weekend at Bernie's. That's right. Because he 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 does look a little like. 
the guy, the main guy in Weekend at Bernie's also. <laughs> they got the, I think it's because they both got those like round eyes, you know. But yeah, it, when I when I was a kid, I thought Don Kalfa was uh, Peter Lorre, just older. I thought it was him when I was really young. I didn't know because um, yeah, they both have that, those like those round eyes, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah he's, he's spitting he, image. <laughs> it's really crazy. Um, then we got Don, uh, Tom Matthews, who I know, of course, from this and as older Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 6. Yeah, he's such a cool actor. I remember seeing, I always thought he was cool. Um, yeah, me too. Just cool looking. And then when he played Tommy, that's when I got excited because I thought, oh, I want to see him in a hero role. Um, yeah. He's done a, I mean, he actually, I had the honor and privilege to interview him uh, recently, and I'm hoping to bring him on the show at some point uh, down the road. And he's such a cool dude. He's if you look up his resume on IMDb, it's it's pretty extensive, uh, and he's he, he's done some really kick-ass movies. One in particular called Mean Guns with Christopher Lambert and Mario Van Peebles, which is kind of like a fun shoot 'em up action movie. Oh yeah, I can picture the poster for that. Yeah, and he's one of the villains in that. I think he's also in a movie called Nemesis, which I hope we get to at some point. If we we might just do a whole cyborg uh, futuristic. <sighs> podcast who knows i remember nemesis again that's another one i can see the the cover for interesting i didn't know he was in that yeah he's okay. one of the villains in that and uh yeah he's just he he's such a great i wouldn't call him a character actor per se uh i think he's got a leading man look but he ends up playing mostly kind of genre characters yeah and i mean i know him uh, uh from like i said from this and friday the 13th and i was looking through his imdb and i'm like man it's crazy because he's so familiar to me but i've only seen him in two movies but the two movies that i've seen him in i've rewatched so many times that yeah. i'm like i'm just like oh i love tom matthews but i really haven't even seen that much with him so i would like to dig further into his filmography um we have beverly randolph as tina uh, I honestly don't really know her from anything else other than this. Uh, just even scanning through her IMDb because she hasn't really been in anything else uh, that yeah. much. Yeah, she even I, I actually I, I met her too, or I interviewed her as well. Uh, and we'll talk about that as we go on. But she's um, yeah, this was kind of the only big movie she ever did. She's okay, and in, I and in, I know she yeah. she kind of butt heads with uh, Dan O'Bannon on it too. So I wonder oh, yeah. if that. I wonder if that kind of soured her to things uh, a little bit. I think it. I think it did. She didn't. She definitely talked about how her, uh, she had a controversial. Well, she talked about how in her, um, the first time she met Dan O'Banion, uh, she walked into his house and he had a loaded gun on the table and was watching porn, and <laughs> clearly on purpose to make her feel uncomfortable. Um, but she was in a movie with actually another cast member from. Return of the Living Dead. It came out in 2015 called Freaks of Nature, originally titled Kitchen Sink. I never saw it. I heard about it at the time because one of the kids I taught, his dad was the producer of the movie, and he wrote a story in class called Kitchen Sink about a vampire and a zombie and a werewolf and apparently he's like yeah my dad's making this movie it's everything but the kitchen sink i don't know what that means because he was five and i don't know if I, the movie like came and went but it looks pretty cool actually i kind of want to see it and she's got a small role in that i think she plays a zombie in that and so does <laughs> yeah, another zombie actor. mom it says yeah zombie mom and apparently um there's another actor from return of living dead who you'll get to 
uh, who's also in it. Uh, is that John Philbin? No, it would be um, the guy who plays Scuzz. Oh, oh, Brian Peck. Okay, oh, oh, sorry. I'm going kind of going like by the IMDb order. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we got um, Scuzz is played by Brian Peck. Um, his his he's he's got some stuff here and there. Like he was in X Men Two, like as a news reporter and an announcer on Man on the Moon and stuff. So he does like a lot of little spots here and there. Uh, Scuzz was the one that got pulled out of the window and bitten in the head by the half zombie uh he's the one with the mohawk we have john philbin who plays chuck and you guys know him he was in point break he was in children of the corn he was in tombstone he's been in a bunch of stuff and you interviewed him for two dollar late fee correct yeah i i think for me and and a lot of other people he's mostly known for uh, the role of turtle from north shore and yeah i fortunately my my co-host for two dollar late fee uh, Dustin Rubin and I had the chance to interview him in my home, which was very surreal. Uh, that, <laughs> by the way, if you're interested in hearing a bonkers interview, that one will be dropping later on in the month. So keep an ear out or check out Two Dollar Late Fee on um, Instagram for more information on that one because he he's he is one of the most one of the most fascinating people I've had the privilege to talk to. And unfortunately, we didn't get to Return of the Living Dead. But he did say during that time when he was filming Return of the Living Dead, the music, he was super into punk and kind of that L.A. uh, new wave scene. So which reflects the way he looks in the film and and the style and clearly with the music in return of living dead he was a big fan of that yeah and the, that that music's interesting uh from the documentary that i watched uh where they talked to dan o'bannon um it's like it was for the final interview for the scream factory blu-ray and he talks about how that music just uh, he, he didn't have much to do with it he basically they got the 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 person was over in uh, england and this is for more for the score but they oh, pay, okay. basically had to piece it together but then for the for the the music the punk music in the movie that again that was somebody else that kind of went out and commissioned these songs but dan abandon was like i kind of didn't really have anything to do with it but he's like they turned out fantastic because they did the 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 um, the producer wanted to make a record out of uh, out of it and dan abandon was like yeah i don't really care about that because i'm making a movie do do what you want you know uh it's not my priority but i think that's what lend itself to kind of getting a bit more like cooler songs because they wanted to put out like an album yeah it's a legit uh soundtrack that i feel i mean from my from my childhood memory i remember it being a huge deal like everybody was into it that knew about the movie and it was kind of a standalone perfect kind of halloween soundtrack because it had some great great punk bands on it and all and it holds up yeah yeah, it's for a, sure. It's still a lot of fun. It's such a fun, fun soundtrack, and it really elevates this movie to a to another level. For Casey, uh, it was played by Jewel Shepard. She hasn't done too too much, kind of like some exploitation stuff, like Caged Heat, things like that. Um, and then we have Spider, played by Miguel Nunez, who sadly I always recognized as DJ from the terrible Jean-Claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie. Uh, that's kind oh, of where really? I knew it. Yeah, he was the, he was the, the, yeah, yeah, the, the DJ character in that. I never, <laughs> I never saw that. I never saw that movie, actually. That's terrible. Don't ever see it. Um, <laughs> okay, I won't. Suicide was played by Mark Venturini, Venturini. 
Um, he is the the tall guy that's all clad in leather in this movie. Oh, Unfortunately, yeah. he passed away in '96 at the age of 35. But um, I remember in the the document the two hour documentary on Return of the Living Dead um, that they have on the Scream Factory. They everyone like said nothing but nice things about him. They said he was like a very sweet soul, even though like he was like six foot two and you know and then all clad in leather and in this and whatnot. But they said he was all like he was just so sweet and nice in real life. So that's kind of a that's kind of a shame um, that he passed away so young. And yeah. f- finally, I was, I was gonna mm, sorry, oh, sorry yeah go ahead. I was gonna say I was gonna go back to Miguel Nunez really quick. He was in he was in Friday Thirteenth Part Five, uh, A New Beginning. And that's what I remembered him from. Uh, yeah, kind of being right. like similar. And I, I love him. I think he's great. But anyways, I that think was my little. No, I think he's. I think he's awesome too. Um, I actually, I actually, when I was a kid, I didn't love Friday Thirteenth Part Five because you know we all knew it wasn't Jason. But looking yeah. back on it, it has a high body count and it's got some great nudity in it too. <laughs> it's don't don't sleep on Part Five. Trust me. <laughs> no, five and six. I think five and six are are two of my favorites. Yeah, and do are you do you like seven or do you kind of uh, is that overrated in your book? Is that the one with the psychic? Yeah, yeah. I never I never saw it all the way through. Oof, that's that's disturbing. Um, all right, let's uh, <laughs> let's move. Wait, forward. I, no, because I, I was it was a weird phase when it came out. I was like I was kind of over Friday Thirteenth at the time. Okay, I was kind of yeah. over sequels. I'm like enough of the sequel shit. How about something original? But okay, well, yeah. we may have to go back and rewatch that. <laughs> I I would gladly rewatch that. I would gra- gladly. Anyways, and finally. We cannot, you know, uh, move forward without talking about uh, sweet Linnea Quigley as Trash, oh, the uh, <laughs> the stripper punk that uh, strips on top of the um, uh, what, what are those? They're not graves, and it's not a, ma- uh, a mausoleum. It's like a grave that's kind of like sort of out of the ground. What are the? Do they have a name for that? I don't know, but I know in New Orleans the reason why they were. There's so many like that is because of the flooding that might take place. Yeah. But I don't know what yet. Yeah, why that one? Coffin? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that how about one. Crypt? Yeah. Maybe a crypt sort of like thing. But yeah, it's, I'd never seen that before when I was a kid. I was like, okay. So, um, but apparently, you know, she, she had no problem. Uh, uh, according to Dan O'Bannon, she had no problem getting nude at the casting uh you know thing and he said she acted better than anyone else who showed up for the part and then her just getting nude was i mean it was a necessity for the um for the movie for the role but you know he was <laughs> then he commented on how amazing her body was and that was just kind of like icing on the cake sort of uh but that's what kind of got her uh the role uh <laughs> well she's a full on i mean she's probably uh one of the first ever scream queens and yeah. quote unquote um, and because all she did was horror films like Silent Night, Deadly Night, or not, yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night, I think. Yeah. Yeah, she she kind of propelled the term Scream Queen forward, right? Wasn't that yeah. kind of, I mean, I know it wasn't exactly her, but that was her era, and she was kind of on the forefront of that, that first group of ladies who basically, you know, became Scream Queens, and then the term that we basically know today. Yeah, she, I mean, every movie she did, she kind of played a, She's a very colorful character. 
this one particularly. Yes. And when I, and going back to like our, our, you know, previous conversation about, um, you know, no IMDb when you're a kid, no subtitles. I always thought she was suicide and he was trash. I didn't, cause they, they don't really say their names. And then of course, like they don't like look at him and be like, Hey, suicide. What do you think? You know what I mean? Like I was like, and then yeah. and their, their names are like words. So I'm like, uh, and I had a hard time tracking what, when I was a kid, who was who, um, but I, before we get deep into the movie, I do want to touch on the fact of something that Dan O'Bannon uh, said in the interview that I found interesting. He said um, he wanted these punks to not be dangerous. He said he wanted them to just be an, eclect- an eclectic group of teens. He doesn't want them to be dangerous per se because he was like, because when I was growing up or like, he's like all the punks that I knew were some of the nicest people I'd ever met. And, and I watched this movie and even as a kid, just the way that they're dressed and everything, I'm like, okay, are they supposed to be like bad guys? Are they supposed to be the punks? But they always play it. Like even when Tina's like, you know, like even when, when spider, you know, picks her up and stuff, you could tell that there's friendship here with all the whole group of people. And I, I guess it was for me, it was weird as a kid because I was like, they look like they're quote unquote bad guys, and this is like you know fourteen year old Corey thinking it. But they're yeah. all very nice to each other, and then I realized that that was on purpose because Dan O'Bannon wanted to show you that these punk kids that in every other movie, like all right, for example, here's what I'm con- like basically saying: okay, you got your punk kids in Terminator, played by uh, Bill Paxton, that popped your you know that pop a switchblade on you that term you know the Terminator kills at the beginning of the movie, yeah. And these kids are dressed the same, pretty much the same way. But they don't act like that. They don't act like street toughs. And it was because, it seems like it was because Dan O'Bannon wanted to show you that these punk kids that were kind of permeating the L.A. scene weren't all bad. They weren't bad kids. Yeah, I think uh, this came out around the same time Real Genius came out. And I feel like Real Genius did the same thing with quote-unquote nerds at that time, where they made them, they they were an anti-stereotype, you know? They were, Mm -hmm. they, they, look that way but don't judge them for the way other people because other people painted punks in a, in a negative way yeah thrashing right. all the people who lived in venice were all evil and people yeah. who lived in the valley were sweet kind of thing and yeah i was I totally agree with you that they or it's cool that he did that intentionally to show that just because you look a certain way doesn't mean you're going to act a certain way. Yeah, and they don't, you know, go out of the way to say, "Oh, these guys are good." It's you have to yeah, piece yeah. it together by their actions. You have to piece it together by, you know, the fact that, you know, teen, you know, Spider picks Tina up, you know, like and they they care about each other. Of course, they kind of leave uh, trash, you know, to <laughs> she seemed like kind of an outlier, but uh I like that, it, and, and it wasn't something. It was something that I always kind of felt was there, but I didn't pick up on it until I watched that interview with Dan O'Bannon, and I was like, "Ah, that's that's where I've been sort of. That's what I've been tuning into this this whole time." That's um, cool. And it's just another added layer that makes this movie so great because I feel like every time I watch it, I, I see something new. Um, but uh, all right, well, we're forty five minutes in. Let's actually start <laughs> the movie. This is going to be another epic, epic romp. Oh yeah. Do you want a pop? All right, we start with a title card. The events portrayed in this film are all true. The names are real names of real people and real organizations. And knowing that, that knowing that the two main characters are named Bert and Ernie, it's 
<laughs> right away, you don't know it, in, in, you know, from this title card, but right away, if you know that fact, you're like, oh, you guys are being silly. <laughs> you guys yeah. are having a little bit of fun with this one. Um, yeah, I do too. I do too. And uh, we start at the Unita Medical Supply. You need it, we got it. So again, guys, telegraphing right from the get-go that this should not be taken seriously whatsoever with Unita Medical Supply. And of course, this is uh, Louisville, Kentucky, July 3rd, 1984 at 5.30 p.m. Now, Louisville, Kentucky is clearly East L.A. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the L.A. River goes through Louisville, Kentucky like that, but uh, I could be wrong. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. I mean, for people that are from L.A. or have never been to L.A., that it is, but whatever. It's all good. It's all good. It's not. Um, it's not like so, it. It's not like it was shot on a uh, backlot in of uni- Universal Studios. Oh, hoo, hoo. you're throwing a little shade at your movie. <laughs> that should have been my shade thrown. No, I love. I love that. I love. That. I know. I know. It gives it. It gives Fright Night kind of a a dreamlike quality to it. Yes. Um, so this is Friday. So Unita is closing up for the weekend. We are introduced to our two protagonist idiots <laughs> frank and freddie <laughs> and i love how they both have f names you know like that's just it's it's all just goofy it's all just silly goofy uh bert yeah. we also see bert he's leaving for the weekend uh you know he's he's doing the you know hey freddie uh what do you say like you know if anything happens don't name it after me <laughs> i'm you know like a dad kind of joke type of thing <laughs> yeah. Um, this is Freddie's first job. He's clearly supposed to be like, what, 17, 18, something like that. Um, he's, Freddie's our connection. Freddie is Tom Matthews. He's our connection to, uh, the punks that we see later on. So Frank is basically showing, uh, Freddie around, uh, you know, around the, the supply shop. This is like the, it's, it, there's all kinds of like racks with stuff in them that you would see in some kind of like maybe medical school or whatever. They have skeletons, they have a ha- they have half dogs, uh, they have the, um, like the butterflies, you know, pinned to the wall type of thing. Yeah. Um, he even shows them, uh, a cadaver that they have in the, like this, like a storage locker, like a, a cold storage locker um i always thought the cadaver shots were freaky with the the bag over him you know super creepy and i yeah I, I agree with you there the, when he's going through that i have to tell you I, I there was a funny moment where he goes by the bedpans and he's like ba 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 boom it's so random because I, I feel like this whole scene was improvised they're just walking through the supplies and looking at him and well, there's a lot of shots in this supply uh, area where it's one long take. When he's telling Freddie yeah. to put the skeleton in the box, you notice there's no cuts there. It's He does a lot of—Dan O'Bannon does a lot of long takes in this. And I got the same uh, feeling from you where I think that, uh, you know, uh, was it? that's James Karen, right? Um, yeah. Frank, uh, I think he just walked by that and was like, just, you know, I think he just grabbed it. And, you know, it was a little bit of an improv type of thing. Now— <laughs> Let's take a little side note here. This is one thing I didn't know about, but the conversation that Frank has with Freddie about Indian skeletons, and he, it, I, I can tell by the blank look on your face that you're like, okay, where is this going? So apparently, yeah. <laughs> apparently, according to the Dan O'Bannon interview, um, Dan O'Bannon might have actually had his finger on the pulse there uh, because he was like, it was true. Um, like all skeletons come from India. Like that was a thing. And then he's okay. like, I just threw in the line of, I think that there's a skeleton farm out there. But he said in the interview, because they were asking about what about the legacy of Return of the Living Dead. And he'd be saying in the interview, he's like, 
after this movie came out, a year later, India stopped producing skeletons. And there is, like, an implied, like, in real life that they did actually have skeleton farms. And and oh, maybe, shit. just just maybe, Return of the Living Dead might have kind of shed some light onto that, like, in a weird way. And Dan O'Bannon was like, I wrote it as a joke. Like, I did not even think. But I think it was actually real. Well, this movie was popular enough to merit that possibility uh, that so, it actually made its way over to india yeah yeah so who knows or it it, it made someone saw it who has a who had more of a connection to that that's yeah that's a trip that's crazy yeah, that's crazy so yeah so i just wanted to throw that in there i was like holy crap i did not know that um but i always <laughs> like that line and it just i love the way frank just uh james karen delivers all of his lines and everything even when he's showing freddie the half dog uh you know freddie goes grr and he goes don't fool around you're learning <laughs> i just love how he can just quickly <laughs> i know <laughs> you, you, their, their relationship is so great in this through this whole movie yeah it's Fan, fantastic. Um, and then the scene sort of ends with, like I said, Freddy, uh, Frank showing Freddy the cadaver in the storage locker. Uh, we cut to the gang walking down the street, our gang of misfits. And they're talking about, like, what they're going to do that night. And, you know, they found out Freddy has, you know, a job. And it's it, right away, they all dress very differently. Like, you know, Tina's kind of dressed like your 80s bop girl and then chuck uh chuck is sort of like you know got this weird what 60s nerd style that's mixed with 80s and then uh new wave yeah 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 good good call new like and well casey's kind of new wave too right she's a bit new wave um and then uh uh trash and suicide are very much like goth punk i would guess and then spider's just more spider's more like spider and um uh scuzz are more like nor i don't even want to say normal punk like just your average punk look i guess yeah it's 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 like a mashup uh but it works then they're all buddies and it's funny because Trash's car is trashed, and uh, it's just such no, a that's, piece. That's, of, oh, that's suicide's car. <laughs> sorry, suicide. Uh, here we go. We're getting this is going to happen. I think a lot. Well, but, and so, did you have the same problem as as a kid of getting Trash and Suicide's names swapped, or at least just not knowing what their names were? Did you have the same problem I had? Yeah, because I kept looking at Spider, and I'm like, but does, he doesn't look like a. Why do they call him Spider? Why does Scuzz? Why do they call him Scuzz? Like, I wanted to know the backstory. Trash makes sense while they call her trash, but... And they never... It's never one of those things where they kind of, like, really say the name to the face or something. It's always... It's how it should be because these people have known each other for a long time. They just kind of say, hey, Scuzz, you know, like, I'm like... And, and as a kid, I was like, is he just, is that his name or is he calling him that, you know, because like, that's kind of like a, a he's calling him Scuzz. I, I didn't, yeah. I almost wish as a kid that there was name tags or at least like, you know, some kind of like underneath it, you know, like a, a title card with their name. But, but moving forward, it was another element to this movie that made me sort of like, every time I watch it, I learn something new, like a, a layer gets peeled back type of thing. And Agreed. maybe that can, maybe that contributed to it. Yeah, no, I think it's cool though. Like that. But it, I always wonder, like, why they had nicknames, but, like, Chuck and Tina, and, you know, they don't have nicknames. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we go back to Unita, and uh, Frank and Freddy are kind of, like, in the office, and uh, Freddy asks Frank what's the weirdest thing he ever saw here, <laughs> and then Frank tells him this 
cool story about how you know that movie night of the living dead and it was based on a true case apparently there was this chemical that spilled in a like an like a hospital right and it was trioxin and of course like this trioxin name will come up throughout the entire series uh the yeah. name of the, the chemical but um two, apparently 247 right yep tri- trioxin 247 and um it uh it spilled on some of the corpses the corpses just kind of started to move around that's like frank sort of dis- like sort of downplays it but like oh the corpse is moving around they the army basically grabbed up all of the 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 soil the the gas the chemicals and then the bodies and put them in these drums typical army fuck up it didn't you know go (laughs) to an army location the drums came to unita medical supplies and they are in the basement i i love that that when that happens because while he's having that discussion with him on on Freddie's side, you see in the corner like a pinup of uh, some like Playboy playmate, and then <laughs> on on Frank's side, you see a photo of a woman on his desk like with a wet towel, and she's got this big smile on her face. And I'm like, man, this is an interesting way to state like the the setting, the staging of this of this office because clearly. The director, knowing when I did the interview with Beverly, she's like, yeah, uh, the director, you know, Dan is he was an odd guy. It clearly <laughs> was a, a pervert, uh, if you know, and to the highest degree, there is gratuitous like nude shots on the walls of this movie. Yeah, where you're like, I know. What? <laughs> not not just like Linnea quickly, but like on the walls. Yeah. Blatant like you know, full on, full on pinup. So anyways, I thought that was a nice fun fact. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) I I love perverted Dan (laughs) O'Bannon. Yeah. This guy, apparently he loved to hang out at strip clubs all the time and do his thing. And that's where he got the research for uh, Linnea Quigley's character. So, and I I don't want to, I think it was on the documentary. Um, but I think that's where he met Jewel, uh, who plays Casey. I think she was a stripper at, uh, a strip club. And I'm not making that up. I think it's on the, the documentary. So, yes. uh, <laughs> so that yes. tells you pretty much everything you need to know right there. I, I think um, it's I think called, it's called like Cheetah Cheetah Girls or something like that. It's in Hollywood. Oh yeah, I think I've been there. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I did the, uh, the you know the Motley Crew thing for a while, where I had to go check out all the strip clubs that they talk about. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. When you get to LA, that's what you got to do. All right, so. Frank then takes Freddy into the basement to see the containers with the corpses. Uh, it's like they're they're cool. The the containers neat because it's got this glass sort of visor that you can see into the container and you can see the corpse like in there. And of course, like Freddy's like, "Hey, do these things leak or anything?" And Frank's like, "Nah, these are developed by the Army Corps of Engineers." Hits it on the side, they get <laughs> blasted in the face with like green mist or whatever, and they're down for the count. It just knocks them straight out and we go right in to the credits the title cards but the cool thing is uh and that awesome awesome music that you know that that driving oh my god so cool and it's a hemdale films production and hemdale uh did some kick-ass movies back in the day like highlander was one of them Uh, oh okay just a great production company like one of those kind of I don't know if it's indie, but it, 
an offshoot of a bigger company, probably MGM or something. Yeah, it's got like that foot, one foot in the indie door, one foot in you know, the studio door. It seems like because yeah. uh, it still seems like the movie still had like the studio process to making it. Um, I did enjoy. I always liked how the zombie's face melts while oh, behind yeah, so the cool. Return of the Living Dead title card. It's so good, dude. The special effects in this movie were outstanding, and that's because of I shoot, I forgot the guy's name, but the previous special they hired one guy and he did not work out and then they had to hire somebody else who just like killed it on the special effects front the uh that half corpse that uh you know that on the the embalming table that they talked to later like yeah he, he built that like uh i think like in five days or something it was like what? it was insane it was yeah it was insane the the guy the special effects team on this was just outstanding the replacement team i would say that is one of the many highlights of the movie is the special effects they're so you're right. They're so good. That opening uh, intro with the face melting. And I, I remember as a kid slowing it down and using that crappy slow-mo on your VCR. <laughs> yeah, Trying to terrible. figure out if I could figure out how they made how they did that. If I could find a flaw in it somehow. Because oftentimes with the, the effects, they were flawed. And there's some of the zombie makeup later on that looks a little cheesy. But... but the, the the gruesome stuff is so great so yeah. well done yes i'm i'm with you there are a couple effects especially there's a, a skeleton that comes out of the ground that i hate uh even dan o'bannon hates it it's the one we all know that kind of comes out of the ground opens its mouth and its eyes um it does not look yeah. very good and then a couple times a couple times the zombies were clearly just people in mud you know, even though they were yeah. supposed to be like, you know, X amount of years old and decayed, but they were just clearly people with mud. But everything works about the special effects. Even the cheesy stuff, weirdly, the cheesy stuff elevates the better stuff and makes the better stuff in the movie even better, I think. And somehow creates a perfect a perfect storm of cheesy and good at the same time. I just I just had a moment that Dan O'Bannon Dan O'Bannon's connected to Life Force, isn't he? I believe he is. Toby Hooper directed it. I wouldn't be surprised. I think uh, Dan O'Bannon might have uh, writing credits on that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm just um, thinking the, the boob connection, but anyways. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so now we kind of like go to the West Coast. It does this like jumping back and forth between the, the West Coast and the East Coast um, for 4 p.m. Pacific time, we meet uh, Colonel Glover, and he comes home. He clearly has this, like, beautiful house, you know, <laughs> like, on the Palisades or something. I'm like, damn, a colonel, colonel makes money, and he's got guards and everything. But yeah. he's he's got this, like computer electronic equipment in his like his his study or something and it's kind of like inside of a like a giant bookshelf almost or or almost like a like a, a liquor cabinet maybe it's yeah. but it's imagine like a liquor cabinet that you can open but filled with computer displays and all this kind of blinking lights and everything and i think to myself man that's just a laptop today guys like you would just have he would just have a, a secure laptop and that's it I love I love the I love the computers of the seventies and eighties because they've got all these blinking lights. It's like someone said, "Well, if there's blinking lights, then it'll it'll look official," you know. But I, but uh, Cap, but uh, Colonel Glover is uh, he's such an asshole to his wife. His wife has like dinner waiting for him. He's like, "Oh crap, I had it for lunch or something like that." And he's like, "Christ, yeah, asshole!" He's Christ such Apple. a he's such a dick to her, and she's like, "She <laughs> poor." 
Poor, poor Mrs. Glover. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you, dude. He is an asshole. He's supposed to be stressed out, so apparently he's yeah, kind yeah. of uh, uh, on high alert for these canisters, these missing uh, canisters. Um, I, I, you know, he's that's what his job is, is to find these things. And he's like, you know, you will take out the, the computer equipment out of the office once we find uh, these things. So you know right away that he's looking for them and he's stressed out. And, and those computer devices, uh, they mess up her oven somehow, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'd be stressed out, too, if I've been looking for something for the past 15 years and couldn't find it. Right. Yeah, right? Like, I, I was know. like, man, that's a long time that he's been, like, dealing with this level of stress. Yeah. I, and, I thought I could... I, I'm sorry. I could have thought... I uh, could have sworn that Night of Living Dead came out in 1968, and they rep, they said 1969 uh, in the in the movie. So okay. I'm, I'm just like, not to be like nitpicking, but, you know. <laughs> well, and, and we should, I, I meant to address it back then, but the reason he even tells the Night of the Living Dead story in this movie is because um, John Russo and George Romero had this like breakup, uh, who he helped yes. write Night of the Living Dead, John Russo helped write Night of the Living Dead, and they had this breakup, and during the breakup, uh, like, George Romero could keep the term of the dead so that's why he all his movies are like dawn of the dead day of the dead land of the dead he could use the term of the dead and then john russo could use living dead and uh john russo worked on this um i believe and uh uh so basically they had to put that night of the living dead comment in that beginning shot because he said audiences were kind of gonna be unsure of of did did, like because Night of the Living Dead was the biggest zombie movie at that point, right? Like, all the Ramiro stuff is what zombies were back then. Yeah. But you got to remember, and it's it's worth noting, that before Night of the Living Dead, zombies as a genre was more of a of a slave thing. Like, zombies were slaves. They didn't eat you. They didn't take over. Like, we're talking about the old Bela Lugosi, like, white zombie movie and stuff. Yeah. It wasn't until Night of the Living Dead's George Ramiro uh, that that it's like a post-apocalyptic thing, like it's a, it's a worldwide thing, and uh, you know he's even gone on record saying that like the reason zombies eat people in Night of the Living Dead is because anytime one society takes over another society, they always consume that society. So it's like it's like a metaphor, but. You got to understand the times where okay, you're going to put out Dana Band's going to put out Return of the Living Dead. Everybody knows anything about zombies is Ramiro stuff. So he's got to go right away and say, we're not Ramiro. This is not George Ramiro's zombies. And we learned that later because, too, you know, they said, what do you do in the movie? You destroy the brain. That does not work in this movie at all. So that it's a complete departure. And they had to put that in there just to kind of let the audience know. Well, it's interesting because um, John Russo and Russell Striner, who are also two writers on the movie of Return of the Living Dead, were from Night of Living Dead. Yes. So, yeah. You know. So John that- John Russo was like his was George Romero's like partner for Night yeah. of the Living Dead. So when he came over and did Return of the Living Dead, I believe he could use the term Return of the Living Dead, whereas George Romero had to use the term of the dead, basically. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because Romero, I would see Romero at Fangoria conventions all the time, and people would say, you know, what do you think about uh, the new wave of zombie movies? And this is around the time that Twenty Eight Days Later came out. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't think zombies should be running around. I mean, it's they're dead. They should be walking slowly. And he's all bitter and butthurt about <laughs> clearly bitter. Well, when I make my next movie, it's gonna be a, 
you know, a throwback. There, nobody's going to be running around. And at that point, everyone's like, no, they, it's cool when they run around. So anyways. Uh, dude, I think I think running zombies are terrifying because. Oh, yeah, I like, agree. <laughs> their lust for brains outweighs my lust for life. They will they will run me down no matter yeah. what. And I always I like that in James Gunn's, you know, Dawn of the Dead remake. I like that even if the zombies like four feet away from you it's going to see you and then it's going to get to you as fast as possible no matter what like it's going to yeah. run at you even if it's like four feet away and you get tackled uh this movie a lot of people get tackled onto concrete which i noticed like the cops <laughs> yeah. and the paramedics look painful but i like that i do like that but at the same i do like the slow zombies because it's the idea that no matter what you do no matter where you go they're always after you they're always slowly coming it's almost like it follows like they're always coming after yeah. you and you'll just you'll just never get away no matter what they're they both can work well um so we got we got another shot uh that's still giving us the time the time's kind of important here uh so 7 30 p.m eastern standard time uh our gang of misfits is driving through louisville kentucky but it's clearly east la that's that's my note right there <laughs> verbatim <laughs> uh they decide to wait for freddie uh, at the graveyard across the street from you need a medical supplies because they didn't want to freak out his boss his new boss and everything um cut back to Unita and frank and freddie are basically waking up from their gas chamber experience and Jesus uh Christ. i know right like dude they got that's got to be that's bad if you get knocked out cold right oh like, so, that's so not a gross. good thing i will say there's a little homage to uh, or nod to 1968 in that scene because there's a there's a poster of uh nixon eisenhower behind the drum oh dude that's so i never even picked up on that and now when i go and rewatch it again for the gazillionth time i'll look out for that dude that's so right. cool yeah they're like oh just by the way this has been sitting here since this poster was here <laughs> yeah, of course of course <laughs> <laughs> oh man they they make their way upstairs and they're all just like gunked up and oh they're just like they're looking looking rough <laughs> just totally looking rough and just like i love how frank's just like spraying like air deodorant <laughs> just just his look and, and everything it's just frank i gotta love james karen he was just he's one of my favorite actors in this movie right here. yeah his, his whining his whining and and clearly he's in pain it's so believable but his whining is priceless it's just like it's so dramatic it's so over the top but i love that it's supposed to be over the top and no it's it's over the top but it's believable that's what's great about it that's the yeah. that is the that is the perfect razor's edge that James Karen is walking that it's it's silly and goofy but at the same time you totally feel for him and I like the I mean he's just a dude with a wife man and like he just wants yeah. to get back to get to go home see his wife and everything I love his character arc in this movie I I, I love yeah. everything about Frank in this film um so so basically they're back upstairs in the medical supply place and everything is essentially coming to life. <laughs> you got the the split dog which which always freaked me out as a kid because it's whimpering and then when they try, when they freak out and they start beating it with the crutch it's doing <laughs> like the dog whimper and like I was like oh my god does it feel pain you know which it does because it you does. find out later yeah yeah, yeah that, that that being dead hurts and that's Man, that's actually pretty disturbing when you think about it. Um, the you notice in the background that those butterflies that we mentioned, the ones that are <laughs> sort of stapled to the to the corkboard, they're they're coming to life. And of course, the coup de gras is the the cadaver that was in the the storage locker, the cold locker, is now alive and banging on the door, and they're just. <laughs> freaking the fuck out yeah the the bright yellow uh i i used to think he looked like the Hare krishna 
uh, <laughs> zombie from Dawn of the Dead. Dude, I I did too. I saw that connection when I was a kid as well. Like it, that jaundice look or something where, you know, your skin's <laughs> yeah. yellow. Like Evil Lynn from He-Man, right? <laughs> yeah, totally Evil Lynn. Oh my God! Yes, she has jaundice. She needs to. Have, she needs someone to look into that. <laughs> well, uh, um, there, there's a guy named James Etock. By the side note, that um, that uh, that kind of had a theory as to why Evelyn is jaundiced out like that because her uh, Skeletor uh, absorb, absorbs some of her magical energy and ah. takes the pigmentation from her skin out. So I like it. I like it. And I, as a kid, I was always a fan of Evil and Jaundice or not. I, I really <laughs> dug it in. Um, do you remember the cartoon reboot? It was after the Four Horsemen toys came out. Then yep. the cartoon reboot came out. And there was uh, one episode where you actually saw in the past where Evelyn, or she took off her helmet or something. She had that really cool white hair. I was yeah. like, oh man, Evelyn is cool. I liked her better when they sort of did that reboot because they gave her that more like purplish shade instead of being the jaundice green. But I thought oh, it was yeah, she that's was cool. Right. That's yeah, cool. Little, yeah. little insight into me. I always uh, see as a kid. I always liked. I had more crushes on uh, the Baroness from GI Joe, Evelyn. I always liked my my bad women for some reason. I like my Lady J. So, oh, there you go. You like your wholesome Lady J. Lady J was my least favorite. I was a Scar- <laughs> I like Scarlet. <laughs> this is the GI Joe podcast, guys. Um, <laughs> we we've, so- met, we've referenced GI Joe almost a, a few times in the back. Anyways. <laughs> Um, and I love how they basically they go into the office and they're like, All right, let's call Bert. Like, obviously, I, l- I mean, that is such a dumb, dumb thing to do. But at the same time, so relatable. Call the boss. Yeah. Just call the boss. He'll know what to do. <laughs> He'll know what to right? do. I mean, yeah. He'll know what did to you, do. Did you notice the uh, the eye chart, by the way, on the, on the, behind them? <laughs> oh, no, what did it say? Okay, so I because I've seen the eye chart a bunch of times and I'm like, it's th- I wonder if that says something. So finally, for the first time ever, this last time I paused it, it says, uh, Bert is a slave driver and cheating son of a bitch. <laughs> God, the, the, set, the set decoration in this movie is outstanding. It, it, there's so much personality there. I love it, yeah. dude. I love it. And I love how, like... I love how Frank composes himself before he gets on the, the phone, you know? Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, you know, just like he's all out of breath, but he just kind of, he does that composure. He's like, hey, Bert. <laughs> hey, Bert. Hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. And so, uh, you know, we cut back to the cemetery, uh, and then this is the famous scene where Trash yeah. starts, uh, Linnea Quigley starts talking about, have you ever fantasized <laughs> about so dying? I know, and I'm as a kid, I was like, man, girls are weird. <laughs> Some girls are really weird. <laughs> she, her, her delivery is so, I don't know, it's uncomfortable for me. Cause I'm like, She's a great actress. She really is. But it's such an interesting delivery. <laughs> I, I know. Because the way she draws out, like, some of her words, being eaten alive. Like, she tries to do this, like, thing. But, uh, yeah, so so she I guess she turns herself on, essentially, by talking yeah. about dying, which is, of course, a foreshadowing to exactly how she dies in the movie. And yep. uh, she just turns herself on and stands on whatever we deemed that little mini crypt slash above ground you know a coffin to be she stands on top of that and she just she starts stripping man well, and full on full on nudity full on nudity and i don't in the corner of the camera you can see tina beverly randolph's character and she looks so uncomfortable like i think it's legit i think it's legitimately being uncomfortable because 
after talking to her, meeting her, she is the embodiment of her character. She's like this really sweet, innocent person and it's so uncomfortable. I don't think she even swears. I think she she was like, you know, instead of saying Jesus, she's like, oh, you know, chimney or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but then th- you have to turn this into a gif at some point. But in Miguel's face when she's dancing and he goes, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it's it's out there, buddy. There, I, there are a million gifs of, of that shot. Okay. And I, I'll be using it when we drop the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one you're talking about. But, uh, of course, this is the scene that uh, I rewound the most as a kid. I was like, holy moly. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Blu-ray and all of its Blu-ray amazing quality, you can just see so much. It's just insane. And uh, <laughs> later on, I don't know if it's for this shot, but later on when, when Linnea is in zombie form, they did have to give her a cod piece when she was walking around. A and uh, merkin. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was like a skin merkin. It was like the opposite yes. of a merkin. Uh, and uh, the only thing Dan O'Bannon had to say about that was that uh, he was not present for the day that they had to do the, the cast for that one. The light. It seemed like he was nicer to Linnea Quigley than he was to sort of anyone else on on set. From, That's so weird, though. Gather. Like, because she's full on, she's fully nude, and and you're like, why do you have to? At that point, who cares? You know, <laughs> why yeah, do you have to make a, a mold for that shit? But whatever. <laughs> I know it's it's. I know I don't. I have no clue. But I probably some kind of ratings thing because I think when she's when she's definitely in zombie mode, the lighting is much more like fully on her. You know, yeah, uh, the way the yeah. lighting is sort of set up. And then when she was dancing on the grave, it was kind of like the the lighting was at a certain distance, and you know there were shadows involved. I don't know, man. I I have no clue, but <laughs> I just know I loved it as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, so we cut back to, you need a medical supplies. Bert is there now and he's of course chewing out Frank and Freddie and you know, they're like, well, if they just destroy the evidence, this will all go away. Cause of course, right? Of course. That's yeah. a, that's a Fra- great idea. Frank's like, that's it. Let's do that, Bert. <laughs> let's, let's do that one. <laughs> what are we going to do, Bert? Um, and I love how the, you know, so Bert sets it up. So he's like, well, we got to kill the cadaver, right? You know, so Bert sets it up so that Freddie has to go to the to the the padlock to, to unlock the door. Uh, Bert's holding an axe because it's Bert's, or not Bert, uh, Fred, uh, Frank is holding an axe and, and yeah. Bert's like kind of like in the back sort of yelling at them. <laughs> Frank, love, be a man. <laughs> yeah, Frank, uh, Frank just, He's he's whimpering and he goes, "Be brave, Frank! God damn it!" <laughs> I just I love I love that. Be brave, Frank! And uh, of course, as soon as the door is open, the cadaver makes a be a screaming beeline right to Bert, right past Frank, right past Freddie, right to Bert, and just tackles Bert. And I just I love Bert's reaction. He's like. Aah! as he gets tackled it's just a great fucking scene uh you know so they they have to basically hold the corpse down uh and they take the pickaxe to it you know frank does the pickaxe right to the brain and uh or maybe bert does it doesn't matter and that's when you discover uh uh-oh uh-oh, these are not your Ramiro-style zombies. They do not yep. die when getting hit in the head. So they cut off its head, and the body frees itself and stands up and starts running around. I mean, 
this is just bonkers batshit insanity. And I cannot believe how well they could pull off a headless corpse without having like a, 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 a like clothing to kind of hide the the head, the, yeah. the real the actor's head. The headless corpse scene here, the way it was shot perfectly when the body would run past things and block, you know, the actor's head. It was just shot so well and so believable that this thing was a, a headless corpse running around. I think even to this day, I see it and I'm like, that's, that's impressively shot. Yeah, it's it's really well done. It's funny because when they're holding it down and getting ready to uh, hack the head off or whatever, that's when Freddy utters the uh, memorable line, you mean the movie lied? <laughs> the movie lied? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember they flopping, standing up and flopping around and I'm like, it's so disturbing because it's this yellow just naked man (laughs) yeah banana banana man and uh no pun intended meanwhile again in those scenes there's like shots of boobs everywhere uh right there's another there's another um centerfold that's in the corner of the shot i'm like this dan o'bannon loves his boobs he loves his boobs uh Again, I'm going to reference the interview. He said that he was specifically making this movie for young men, right? And when he went to the when he went to the premiere, because he figured that was the audience. When he went to the premiere, he was shocked by the fact that it was half guys and half girls. And he goes, "If I had known that, he goes, I would have made uh, Tommy Matthews take off his shirt too. I would have made Tommy Matthews show his buns." So you know, maybe, maybe, maybe in hindsight, Dan O'Bannon is retconning his perversion a little bit maybe um but he is on record saying that he specifically shot it for for boys and had he known that women were going to see it he would have put in a little male nudity too to balance it out whether that's true or not who knows but that's what he said when in in 2000 that's what he said in 2009 with you know uh what 30 years of of retrospect in going on yeah, you get, you get perspective, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when you get older. Uh, so now it's 9.16 p.m. at the cemetery. Our group of misfits are still partying until Freddy gets off at 10. So that's what they're, they're just basically killing time and everything. Um, I like how Trash tries to like hit on suicide and he kind of dismisses her. And he's like, have some respect for the dead. Like, <laughs> yeah. put on your clothes, so you know? I know, and I, like, as a kid, I was like, it's an, it's a cool little character moment. Like you get a little insight. Yeah, he's brooding. Yeah, he's like upset, but he's not he's not a scumbag. That's what I kind of took away from like that little scene with with suicide is that he's not a scumbag. He's just misunderstood. No. Like he says, he's just misunderstood. Yeah, it's a way of life, you know. This, it's a way of, this, this is, is a way of life. This is a costume or something like that <laughs> with his yeah. giant giant bolt chain hanging from his <laughs> his lip or whatever. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, then you got uh, Casey and Chuck are kind of like Casey or uh, Chuck's always kind of hitting on Casey and and Casey just kind of can't stand them. But, you know, they, they get a little arc later on, sort of, yeah. but you know, nothing, nothing major. You know, they're of all the, the, the quote unquote misfits and friends, they're kind of the most the least fleshed out. They're kind of the most expendable, except oddly enough, they don't really die. So it, it I almost wish I had a little bit more to Casey and Chuck than than what we have on the screen. It's cool because uh, after interviewing John Philbin, like knowing who he is as a person and knowing what he was going what was going on with him back when he made this movie and how he even says how he used to be super cocky and like arrogant and he'd wake up in the morning with his pajamas on and his dad's like why don't you get a real job he's like what real job dad 
I'm not getting a real job. I, I'm an actor, you know, but, uh, knowing that he was super cocky back then and looking at that character and playing kind of a nerdy type guy, he's, the guy's super talented. Like I'm watching him going, man, you, you became turtle and super memorable. And like, you really became this like nerdy character. And I think I like Chuck more knowing who John Philbin is, but at the time, yeah, it was kind of a, they were both kind of unforgettable characters. They weren't as colorful as the other punks. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't quite, yeah, as a kid, I didn't quite get it. But as I've gotten older, I've appreciated their characters a little bit more and sort of what the actors brought to those roles. But yeah, as yeah. a kid, I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I didn't really care much for either of them, you know? Yeah, you don't really. Yeah, it's, yeah. And they, they try to, but it's just, it's just, they just didn't give them enough, like, to work with, basically. I don't think it was either of the actors' uh, faults. Yeah. Um, so now we cut to now the mortuary, uh, Resurrection Cemetery's uh, mortuary run by Ernie. And uh, he's, Ernie. he's a, Ernie! Kalfa, <laughs> uh, uh, right? Is Kalfa uh, is his name? Yeah, Don Kalfa. Don Kalfa, that's right. Um, and so he's he's basically uh, embalming a guy. Uh, he's got his headphones on. Bert kind of comes in behind him. He pulls his gun on Bert. You know, cause uh, he's got said, his headphones on. <laughs> I said he's fast on the draw. He's fast on the draw. <laughs> he is. And Bert's with like, his little, whoa. With his German, his little German uh, pea shooter. Luger. Yeah. Luger his gun, little yeah. Luger thing, yeah. <laughs> Which plays um, into the, the whole German angle plays into a little bit too. Um, cool. We'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> I, did, I didn't pick up on that, so I'm I'm, okay. I'm excited to to hear what your thing is, because <laughs> it took you could hear it take a second for for to register with me. I'm like, okay, I don't really know what he's talking about there, but cool, no, cool, love, cool, cool, we'll get to it. I love that. Like, yeah, here's a little bit. T- cool. <laughs> I'm trying to tell a story here. God, gosh darn it! God damn it! Be brave, Frank. God damn it! <laughs> Frank, be a man. <laughs> um so and then of course uh, uh you know there's no lost dialogue here so uh Bert's like hey what are you doing and this is when Ernie actually explains you know how rigor mortis sets in yeah. what you have to do to counteract it but the reason we're getting the explanation of rigor mortis is because later when Freddie and Frank have rigor mortis it'll sh- uh, Ernie will be able to like you know n- know what it is and now as an audience we too will will know what it is um then er- you know Fr- Bert's like hey i need you to do me a favor <clears throat> and yeah, it's a big one yeah yeah it's okay <laughs> you know so uh freddie and frank come in with a like a like writhing bags of what we know to be body parts but what they tell bert for a second is that the i'm sorry what they tell ernie is that these are rabid weasels right yeah, and, yeah. you know he's like okay ernie's like shh and he's like, we want to use the crematorium and burn me. He's like, well, that's cruel. That's messed up. Let me take him out to the parking lot and at least shoot him. He was he was real happy to use his gun right there. He's like, let me <laughs> shoot him. Uh, and they're like, well, we can't. So basically they discover that uh, – um, uh, Ernie discovers that it's not, you know, rabid weasels when the hand – like the, the creature's hand grabs him by the leg. The zombie's hand grabs him by the leg and tears his pants. <laughs> his matching pants to his shoes you know it's a it's a great it's a great moment because after it it, well first of all his character is such a kind of a chill seems like a relatively normal guy very matter of fact because when he's explaining the the rigor mortis process and everything's like well yeah this is this is what they don't teach you you know and uh and these are tricks of the trade or whatever and 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 i'm always i was always torn with the fact that he did look like peter laurie uh, he does. He's still alive, so he does look like Peter Laurie. 
Um, and Peter Lorre played such a creepy character in that M movie. And so I always associated him with being a creeper, but he's not. He's actually a, like a decent dude, actually one of the more decent guys in the movie, cooler characters. And But yet I'm torn because he looks bizarre, if that makes I- sense. No, you're 100% right. Um, As a kid, again, this is another visual cue. He had, for some reason, he had visual cues for me that registered as maybe he's going to turn into like a weirdo later or something. You know what I mean? A lot of times these zombie movies, uh, you get trapped in a place and then one of them turns out to be like, one of the humans turns out to be a weirdo or whatever and you got to deal with that problem. But no, you're right. Uh, uh, Ernie, the entire movie, is a stand-up guy. Um, He, you know, he helps other people. He's he's caring. He's he's great. He's played wonderfully. And uh, D- Don Kalfa did pass away in 2016, so it was oh, about bummer. three yeah three years ago. Um, okay. I-, I loved his character. A- every time I watch the movie, I love his character. I love him and Bert's friendship. Um, yeah. They've known each other for 25 years. Apparently, uh, I like that. I like that they they have they have a very good camaraderie to, between the two actors and between the two characters. I love when uh, he when 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 Bert's like, "Will you help me?" and he's cutting the pant leg off like he waits he waits to like he's thinking he takes about a beat it. Yeah, yeah and i love that because he's he's cutting the pant leg off and then he decides whether he's gonna help him or not <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a, but he doesn't say anything it's so subtle but it's such a great moment scene yeah no i I'm I'm with you, dude. I I love that little beat that he that he allowed his character to sort of take, um, and I even love later where you know b- b- the whole time like this this scene next scene he's like you're gonna owe me big for this this is a big deal and then I, I love how later he cashes in on what you owe me when he tells Bert just make it out alive man like you know like I, yeah. I like that I liked that they had genuine you know friendship it didn't all the friends in this movie were friends no one sort of like turned against each other like sometimes you see in these zombie movies it was uh the the core characters were i don't know man just felt like they were friends and i like that i like that they actually cared about each other beverly randolph said in her interview that i did with her that she learned so much from don kalfa and james karen and clue because they're legendary actors at that point you know And, and she's like wow i learned so much from them on set and they were so nice to me and they're just genuinely good people and i'll share a Something at the end that she talked about with Don Kalfa, but she was like, you know, so great working with them because they were just so such pros. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, and the only, the only take, the only thing that takes away from what I say about everyone sort of being friends is uh, in this scene, the next scene, Tina basically goes to the Unita medical supply company to go get Tommy. I thought maybe someone should have gone with her, right? Like one, yeah, like Spider weird. or somebody. I was like, yeah, do you really, should you really let your friend, but they're kids. They probably didn't think about that, you know, at, yeah. the, at the time. But I was like, you know what? I would have had like Spider or somebody just go with her, but I guess you needed her to be by herself in the next scene and everything. But that, that was the only takeaway that I had. Is that um, when it started raining or did it rain before that? No, it hasn't rained yet. It starts raining once they burn That's the, right. the body. Yeah. So, so she's, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not raining yet. Every, everything's still going a-okay. Um, it's still contained. It's contained until they burn it. That's when it gets out of control. (laughs) Um, (laughs) cause, cause basically you could just take care of everything in the, in the, the, you need a medical supply company now and you would be fine. But no, no, this is where things go from bad to worse. And, uh, (laughs) back at the mortuary, we're in 
the crematorium area and like Ernie is explaining, you know, how the cremator works. Uh, he's explaining, um, you know, like, uh, you know, the heart is the hardest thing to burn up because it's just one big muscle. And, you know, Bert's like, well, we don't want the heart. He's like, we'll turn it up higher. And then, you know, all there'll be left is dust. He's like, well, we don't even want the ash. He's like, then we'll turn it up higher. Right. So they just like basically completely just obliterate the body. They just destroy it completely. And uh, I think you can assume that the, probably the half dog is in there too. Like everything. They probably gathered up pretty much everything. And the that was it. The, the butterflies, the butterfly effect, <laughs> everything. Yeah. And now they have a very bad butterfly effect happen. So the smoke from the crematorium, which has, which is the dead bodies and has the tracks and gas and everything, it basically goes up into the sky and, you know, like it starts raining. And so, you, you know, it's all these effects and everything to basically imply that the smoke basically initiated the rain and now the rain's coming down and the gang is in, is, you know, and trash is naked, you know, but the gang is in the, the cemetery and it starts raining. So they start freaking out, start running back to um, uh, the car and everything. And and uh, of course, Tina like goes inside the. You need a medical supply company. Well, I was gonna say too in that moment. Uh, I didn't. I'm sure you can find it online, but um, Ernie looks outside and sees the rain coming down, and he says, "Oh, it's coming down like." And he says something in German, and uh, and I'm like, "What did he say in German?" Do you know what he said? Because I don't, but I know the scene, and I took note. This was one of the first times that I I, I looked up, and I was like, "Oh." He did. He said something in not in English there, and you're right. It was. It sounded German. I didn't go back and track it, but it was the first time that I noticed it. It was this viewing. Me too. And thank God for subtitles again, because I. I mean, I have to go back, pause it, and 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 translate it. But, but it makes me wonder because he's like blonde hair, blonde. He's a German guy, clearly. Like, yeah. There, there's yeah. this weird, and he's got a Luger. And he said something in German, and I'm wondering if him being using like the the ovens to bake people, you know, like is there some kind of like does his does his character have like a Nazi background or something? Basically, yeah, that's would what he I'm be thinking. would he be the right age for that though? If this was like 85, he's clearly like what late well mid 40s, like him and Bert, like 25 well, years. I mean, he would probably was a kid during world during that world war okay so he so he might he might have been like a german soldier or something basically or had uh, maybe had then. some connection to a german yeah yeah, yeah. Interesting. interesting that i i i would not be surprised because like you said the, the blonde hair is not his natural hair color so that's clearly no. a choice that's clearly yes. something there and you're right and the luger you could say oh well he just bought it at a pawn shop but that coupled with the the german that he says and coupled with his white hair I think the Luger is very much uh, like planned, like a planned accident or, or whatever. Like it's a prop on purpose. Yes. Um, you're right. Good call on that. I'm I, Now I want to go back and see if I can track that. Oh, so, well, I just looked up on IMDb. It said, did you know the character Ernie is thought to be a Nazi due to him sharing his name with Ernst Kaltenbrunner? There are also <laughs> oh. character details that provide an indication of his past. Ernie listens to German Africa Corps march song, Panzler Roland and Afrika Vor, on his Walkman while he he embalms bodies. Carries a ah. German German Walter P-38. Has a picture of Eva Braun in his morgue. Eva Braun was like a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. Refers to the rainstorm coming down like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bastardizing this. I'm betrunken soldat, which means a drunk soldier in German. Really coming oh. down. Right? 
right? Uh, really knows his way around a crematorium and seems surprised and ashamed when he learns that the dead can feel pain. Huh. And then Dan O'Bannon in the DVD commentary mentions that Ernie was intended to be a, an escaped Nazi in hiding. Wow, dude. That's, <laughs> dude, like, I mean, like I said, Mind I've seen blown. this movie a gazillion times. I've watched the the two-hour documentary. Uh, I don't even remember if they even mentioned that. I'm sure they did, I guess. But, like, I didn't piece it together now until we're talking about it. And, again, I, I've said this before, but this is what I love doing this podcast with you. Where other, like, when other time in, in our lives do, like, can we just sit and talk about Return of the Living Dead Part 1 for, like, two and a half, three hours? And, yeah, we yeah. don't always have all the facts on our hands right away because we don't know we're going to go down these rabbit holes yeah. You know what they say? I mean, you don't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? So exactly. I didn't know we were going to go down this rabbit hole, but God, th- thank God we have freaking computers in our, our pockets that we can just easily look this up. But, uh, dude, that's so cool. And again, I just watched this movie last night. I want to go back and watch it again now just to, to, to look at that. <laughs> I, I flipping love this movie, dude. This movie is awesome and and this conversation is like we're only halfway through the movie and it's making me love the movie even more because of it me too um so in back in the cemetery uh we're in suicide's car the roof it's a convertible and it's a beat up shit car and the roof has got a shit ton of holes in it and it's just leaking rain and they're talking about how the skin is like burning and you know they're like what is it it's acid rain you know and at the same time like the camera does this really cool shot of going uh like from the grass down through the soil and you follow like this water drop this like driplets of water that are going through the soil and then it cuts the camera like basically goes straight down into the coffin and then just like one bit of water drops on the shoe of a, of a corpse yes. you know you only see the shoe but i'm like that is such a cool effect it's such a cool shot it's such it's so just effective and cool you know so then now so <laughs> Frank and Freddy are looking rough at this point, and uh, they're looking really sick, uh, even to the point where Frank runs out and has to, like, vomit outside, you know, and everything. And, and Bert, I like how Bert's like, okay, all right, we're taking you guys to the hospital. Like, he, I feel like other movies, he would have stuck to his guns and be like, oh, no, you guys, you're cool. We'll see if we can fix you up here. We got to keep this under wraps. I like that he's like, okay, this is getting out of hand. We got to take him to the hospital. Like, we, we can't yeah. just, like, cover this up. And, and you know, fr- I, I always got the sense that Frank probably has been working for him for, you know, uh, uh, who knows, like probably like 15 years, 10 years or something. And I'm sure he doesn't like, you know, love Frank like he does uh, Ernie. Like I don't think Burton and Frank are as close as Burton and Ernie are, but I always got the impression that, you know, Frank had been over on the weekends occasionally for barbecues. They even talk about that. I'll see you on Sunday for the barbecue. I always got the impression that, you know, Bert still likes Frank. And I'm sure at some point Bert would, would have liked uh, Freddie too. Yeah. Um, I like that. I just, I like that he wasn't like a, a jerk. I like that his character is just not a jerk, you know? Well, he apparently is not a, well, he is a slave driver and a cheating son of a bitch. But, yeah, knowing that, I kind of take that as a, more of a ball busting thing. You know, like a guy ball busting thing. And then uh, basically we go back to the cemetery and the dead now are starting to like crawl out of the ground. Like they're starting to like scream and crawl. And I love how it's like it's you can hear them like wailing in the background and, and, and screaming. But then you don't get too much of it real quick because then it cuts back to Tina and she's walking through the, you know, the you need a medical supply company looking for for Freddie. Uh, of course, she goes into the basement and 
basically the this shot of the tar man coming out of the shadows dan o'bannon did did the roy scheider jaws shot where you know you zoom in while you're i think you rack in while you're dollying backwards or you rack out while you're dollying in and that's why the background moves away but the character comes closer but yeah basically you're doing two things at once basically you're you're dollying the camera forward but then you're rack focusing backwards and that's what makes that separation happen uh, it's a shot made super famous by jaws when the kittener kid gets eaten on the raft uh oh, you know yeah. roy scheider brody is sitting on the the sand and the camera does that same thing it's the same thing here it's always effective you always see it in movies and the tar man dude the tar man is is the my favorite zom- movie zombie of all time well it's he's iconic and everybody uh, Miguel names him Tarman later on in the movie. That's how we find out yeah. that he's called Tarman. Um, but yeah, I don't think there there are there are only a few iconic zombie zombies, and he probably I beg to differ. I I would like to see someone argue. Maybe Bud from Day of the Dead might be another one. Um, yeah. But outside of those two, I can't think, or maybe, and then maybe one, uh, the one guy, uh, the brother in Night of the Living Dead who, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara, that guy. Right. Those might be the top three iconic zombies of all time. Yeah. I, I, it, I'm hard pressed to, to find, to think of another zombie that had as much character as either Bub or, um, the tar man, but the tar man just, he, cause you know, they got a, they got an actor that's just like super skinny to kind of put him in that, that suit. Yeah. And it's just, it's so like Doug Jones back in the day, you know? Yeah. Like, like the OG Doug Jones, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's so like. So beautifully Bernie Wrightson's style of artwork, you know, it, it come to life, basically, the Tar Man. I, I love the Tar Man. He is my, my personal favorite zombie uh, of all time. I think he just looks fantastic. And he's got so much personality, man. He just wants brains, buddy. He just wants brains. I think this might be the first time a zombie, I saw a zombie talk on screen. Yes. Good call. Me too. Me too. And, and I mean... I mean, this is the only movie that zombies say brains, and yet, even to this day, 2019, you can talk to anyone on the street and be like, what do zombies say? And they're like, or what do zombies eat? They never say flesh. They always say they eat brains, and that was not a thing in, in Night of the Living Dead. That was not a thing in any of the Ramiro uh, movies. It was only in Return of the Living Dead, but yet everyone thinks of zombies as eating brains. That tells you what kind of legacy the, this movie has. No, the brains is the most iconic thing. We always knew that brains were something they wanted to flesh, to, to, to munch on, but we but they never verbalized it until 1985. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Tell me what you um, want. This is what you want. This is what you get. Come on. <laughs> we always By the way, have to have a hardware. I have to I have to say to you this morning this morning before we recorded uh, I was getting my son ready for school and he's eating his breakfast and he goes daddy this is what you want this is what you get oh my god no my wife has no idea where that comes from uh, no we got a little mini Richard Stanley on our hands <laughs> <laughs> anyways back to oh your regularly god. scheduled programming yeah yeah so Tina tries to get away from Tarman she runs up the stairs. They do make an allusion to, like, you have to watch out for this one stair. Uh, Frank says it to Freddy when he's walking down the stairs of the basement. Um, but the point is that 
it's a bum stair. She breaks it, falls through it while Tarman's like coming up after her. And so she has to kind of, and hurts her leg a little bit. So she falls to the ground and then basically crawls into uh, like a, a storage lot, like a metal shed locker thing. Yeah. Um, and Tarman basically has to turn around on the stairs and go back down after her. Um, and she's just like, ah, locked in there, you know, screaming while he's like looking at her through the, I mean, that's, that's a terrifying scene, right? Well, well, fun fact about that scene, Dan O'Banion didn't tell her about those stairs. So oh, when she was running up the stairs, she actually legit fell through, not even knowing. So she did hurt herself when she fell through. He actually tortured her through this this film. Um, in this, and I talked to her about this. I said, in this day and age, you know, with the Me Too movement and and just everyone being uh, hypersensitive to, you know, what's a appropriate or not he would have this would not have flown and she she even like kind of jokingly said yeah women nowadays don't even know what we went through back in the day uh yeah she she's like i did he didn't tell me that there's a scene later on where she gets dragged through the mud or she falls into the mud that was he tripped her uh in in falling like there was that was not intentional like he wanted her to go through the mud and he, yeah. he tortured the shit out of her so that knowing that going watching that scene again and her sheer look of terror is so well done on her on her part right well her and her leg kind of bends like weird uh because the <laughs> one leg doesn't like one leg goes through the hole you know but the other leg doesn't and every time i watch it every single time i'm always like "Ooh, that looks like it hurts right like it just did not look like your your leg is sort of supposed to to go that way um Fulci, Fulci um was known for abusing his his female actors too I, I you've heard the same thing right like the famous i, th- I forgot what movie it was either gates of hell or uh from beyond where like a bunch of maggots get blown through the window gates and they of hell. used like yeah and they used like real maggots in it and everything and and uh, yeah, he was known for really putting his female actors through the ring the emotional ringer uh and <laughs> yeah I don't know if Dan O'Bannon was as bad as Fulci. I always got the sense that for Fulci, it was almost like a a, a perversion, you know, um, like a, a masochistic or whatever prefer perversion. I don't know if Dan O'Bannon was just trying to get a specific, um, you know, performance out of out of uh, Beverly or not. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I guess I tend to think the, the better of Dan O'Bannon, but you know who knows? Maybe not. Maybe maybe it was just a piece of shit back in the day, right? Well, he got he he got a great performance out of her. Did he though? <laughs> well, I, I'm yeah. not go- I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I have nothing against her as a person or an actor, but I never thought she was the highlight of this movie. Uh, I didn't really no. think her her acting was all that great either. It's um, not a highlight. I, I but she she plays her part well. She's like the. Um, She's the, you know, the, there's always got to be one person kind of freaking out, like, ah, right. help, help, you know, she's got to be, she's that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. So, uh, so the gang, the gang uh, comes, you know, it's raining and everything, they leave the car, so they're going, they run into the, you need a medical supply uh, company, and they're like, hey, Tina, Freddie, you know, and, and they hear her screaming down in the basement, so they go down into the basement, and it's a cool shot because all you see is a like a, a chain pulling the doors off of the shed and they get there right when the doors kind of get like yanked off and like what the fuck is this and they pull the curtain back 
and standing right there is Tarman, you know, using basically using a winch and instantly like like suicides like 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 a foot away from him, like right like he's got no chance because he's right there and Tarman just lunges right at him says brains lunges right Ugh. at him and just chomps right into his forehead it sounds gross it sounds painful even as a kid I was like oh that looks painful because the fact that and I and I say that when I say it looks sounds looks painful I mean for Tarman because he's biting through bone with his <laughs> with his teeth and I'm like oh god that sounds bad but unfortunately suicide uh, gets it and a few things to note here and they don't really elaborate on it too much but it's worth noting uh, some differences between Night of the Living Dead and this uh, one obviously they talk we we established that the zombies talk but two they're smart enough to know to use a winch, right? So I'm like, so they're using tools, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that that you kind of take note of is that biting will not actually transfer the disease. It doesn't actually get, or does it? Because then the zombie cops come up later. Maybe it's if you eat the brains. Okay, I, this is actually the first time I'm, I'm, I'm piecing this together. So suicide never comes back. Um, uh, Scuzz never comes back. Both of their brains were eaten. The two, maybe one of the, the, the medical guys comes back. So does the bite actually transfer the disease? So I think you're right about the, if, if, their, if their brain gets eaten, then... They won't well, come back, right? Yeah, because like they lose it, their brain, it's gone. It's, it's, it's over. It's a little. It's a little lack. In, in my opinion, because I, I, I was saying it's a little bit of uh, a little lack of continuity. Because, for example, not to jump ahead, but you know, trash. She gets. She fantasizes fantasizes about getting eaten by people, and that's, that's right. what and happens. And she to her. comes back. She comes back, but yet there's no bites on her at all, uh, which is right. kind of weird. And there's like not even scratch marks, which I'm. Sh- I don't know. I just felt like they should have made her. They. I think they rectified that in part three with Mindy Clark looking all, you know, yeah. mutilated up. But um, and then one of the cops gets, uh, you know, brings comes back as a zombie later on in the yeah. movie, right? But, but yeah, then but, the one, but then yeah. but then Scuzz doesn't and Suicide doesn't. So no. and and they didn't even seem like they had very bad bites. Like Scuzz didn't really have that bad of a bite on him. No. Um, yeah, I yeah I'm, I'm not. I guess you could maybe you could say that the paramedic cop that comes back maybe because he was probably laying in the rain soaked you know trioxin okay. rain soaked water and uh, you know Suicide. You know what? How about that? How about that? Oh, um, okay. Suicide. Suicide and Scuzz did not have they died inside and they did not have any rain uh on them maybe all the cops and everybody that came back uh had rain get into their into their in, you know into the wounds or whatever and and maybe that's why they came by, back okay i'll give you that yeah that's fair that's fair okay. I, d- yeah. I still wish that trash was a little more uh, sh- she looked hacked up I wish she would have looked hacked up. I 100% agree with you. And if, I hope they never do, but if they ever make a remake, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had, like, they CGI her arm off or something. You know, do something. Because, I mean, she's naked, so you can't, like, it's hard to do, like, prosthetic stuff with when, yeah. they're, when they're nude because you don't have any clothes to, like, hide anything. But yeah. now with CGI, you could, like, have a rib cage exposed and, and still do that. But I'm 100% with you. And I was never a big fan of how her head, her neck and head turned into some kind of, like, monstrosity thing. It was only because I was yeah. like, I didn't understand why that happened, but I never, I was like, it's cool though. But I was like, that's kind of neat though. Um, 
anyways, uh, so so they run, you know, sans, uh, sans suicide. They run, the gang runs back to the cemetery now with Tina. They've lost suicide, but they have Tina with them. Um, and in the cemetery, uh, the gang sees basically the, the skeletons uh, start crawling out of the ground. The zombies start crawl, crawling out of the ground and stuff. And this is when they kind of leave trash behind. I mean, all hell's breaking loose. And I like some of the shots where, like, the zombies are just caked in mud and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 really good. But, um, and, and I apologize, the scene prior to that was once they do run out of the place, we actually cut back to the mortuary. And uh, the paramedics sh- uh, show up oh, yeah. and they yeah. are uh, checking Freddie and Frank. And it's a, I like it's a cool scene because yeah. I think the two actors who do the paramedics, they do a good job of being like, uh, you know, the I, I feel like they acted like paramedics because they're like, um, let me just check the equipment. They do that. They'd swap, you know, they swap patients essentially to see if it's their equipment. And then, you know, they're, they're always like, well, it's saying this. It says you're dead, but you're clearly not dead. So we don't know what's going on. I just I don't know. I like the scene. I like the chaos. I liked how Freddie's like, what do you mean there's no pulse? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I agree with you. I like how on one level this movie it focuses in on a very the small group of people dealing with this zombie outbreak. But there's a larger question that, that lingers is like, are we going to, is this going to get worse for everybody else in the world? Like what's going right. to happen? Yeah, it does have a, it has a bigger like feel to it. It's got a, a it's it's a smaller story, but it has a grander scale to it. Yeah. Um, so then the scene of basically the 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 corpses coming out of the ground, everyone runs, trash gets uh, trash gets killed by the old people. Uh, her worst fear come to life. Um, <laughs> well, I was gonna say too, this is the moment where your your unfortunate skeleton with eyeballs pops yeah, up and it utters yeah. the infamous kickoff song of Do You Want a yeah which, yeah, which I, I still st- sticks with me i'm like no the, the eyeballs would not still be in a skeleton yep. and you can almost i think you can see the the wires that hold its jaw yeah. together it was just, and even dan o'bannon calls it out he hated that one and but now it's funny it's now it's become a, just a thing like it's oh that's just return of the living dead you know yeah. it's, it's a mistake you give a movie like enough fandom and long enough and you know stupid mistakes just turned into to kitschy little things that we enjoy <laughs> about the movie but um, they read but the thing is that the thing that frustrates me even more though is they reuse it again at the end <laughs> like I the know, same scene and i'm like but yeah. of all the scenes you could have reused that okay yeah yeah i'm, I'm with you I'm, I'm with you there buddy i'm with you there um so we're back at the mortuary again so it kind of just cuts back really quickly oh uh one thing we should explain chuck and casey go one way and the um spider scuzz and tina go the other way when they spread split up and that's when trash is kind of like left in the in the middle so basically tina spider and scuzz show up at the front of the uh the you know the mortuary they're banging on the front door and because around back is where frank and freddie like where the embalming place is that's actually around back the front of it is where uh tina and scuzz and spider are we see that casey and chuck run to you need a medical supplies um the paramedics now at this point go out to the ambulance to get more supplies and are ambushed by the zombies this this I love. Um, I love the shot where the one ambulance guy turns on his lights and they're all standing in front of the the car, all the zombies like covered in mud. I always liked that shot as a kid. I always thought it was uh, freaky as hell. And I just, I loved, I just, I just loved them getting ambushed. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, me too. I, I love that scene where it, it just happens so fast and you're like, whoa, shit. You know, it just, 
kind of they come out of nowhere and they're rushing them and yeah it's so intense yeah i it's yeah and especially later when uh, the next group gets like tackled i'm like oh my god like the actor looks like it actually got hurt but uh we'll, we'll get to that one in a second but yeah everyone who goes there just gets swallowed up as uh as as uh ernie as ernie says yeah when, when he sees that though is that do we get to the part yet where it's the it's a little person uh, who looks like Bushwick? No, no, the, yeah, that's okay. not, yeah, not yet, <laughs> okay. not yet. That's, I love okay. that one. That one's fantastic. <laughs> um, but uh, Tina and Spider and Scuzz tell tell Bert and Ernie that the the dead are coming back to life, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then uh, and Big Bird, cut... Big Bird's there. Big Bird, Oscar <laughs> yeah, the Grouch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we go. We cut back to you need a medical spy in Casey and Chuck. Uh, try to call the cops from the office, but a zombie jumps through the window. I always thought that scene was kind of scary because yeah. like, you feel safe in that office, but the like the, the branches are right by there, and I never realized it was like right on ground level, you know. So I was like, oh shit! So there's no safe haven in there. Um, you cut back to the mortuary, uh, and Tina and Spider and Scuzz, they, they go back to the embalming room and they find Freddy and he's in really, really bad shape. Um, this is when Ernie goes outside to see what the paramedics are doing. And he, he closes the door and you see that like, it's supposed to be like, I guess an amputee, uh, zombie. He, he has like no legs and one, no one arm, but his other, uh, arm he has. And, and he just like, he's eating the paramedics brains and it's a great, the, the paramedics brains are great in this. They always return to living dead always had great brains, you know, apparently, uh, and I, I might be bastardizing this a little bit, but apparently Dan O'Bannon said, look, he wanted, uh, his extras to eat real brains. So he had them eating. He offered to like give them more pay if they ate calf brains, but to prove that he, that they weren't alone. He ate the calf brains as well to show like it was okay to do. Um, so that's a little fun fact for you. And that <sighs> adds Gross. to the, the gross factor. Cause it does, it looks, I mean, it's legit meat. So, and it's so, yeah. this movie's so colorful. Um, which I it love is. for a horror fan. You know, I love it. I'm, I'm with you, buddy. I, I love the the cinematography of this. I love the look of it. Although Dan O'Bannon did not have anything good to say about his cinematographer on, on this film. Really? Wow. Yeah, he he hated him. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Get the the Screen Factory's uh, DVD, Blu-ray's great. It's got so much extras to it. It's cool. fantastic. So now basically shit's starting to hit the fan uh, at the mortuary, <laughs> you know, like basically Ernie runs back in, you know, because he knows shit's happening, you know, and uh, starts basically closing all the doors. Luckily, like he has like these metal shutters on on the mortuary doors and some of them, like in some of the rooms, some of the windows have these like metal shutters. That's great. Yeah. Uh, they try to call the cops, but the phone line's dead, of course. Um, and now zombies are starting to break into the, the chapel and everything and just all over it's basically your typical every zombie movie has to have a siege moment where you board up all the windows and everything doors it just every zombie movie has to have it and then we get the famous so they're starting to seal everything up then we get the famous famous scene of the zombie using the ambulance radio to request more paramedics and you i swear to god you could walk up to anyone on the street and be like send more paramedics and they would know what you were talking about it, this is it's the iconic line of the movie and as someone who 
someone who's very very much loves zombie movies where it's like a you know it's 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 a it's a virus and everything the, the Ramiro style I, I you would think just knowing me you would think that this would have been off-putting to me as a kid but that's why this movie works so well because it could add these silly elements and still be fantastically scary at the same time yeah that scene actually scares me more than more than makes me laugh because, because it sound, shows that they're yeah. smart, right? Yeah, it shows they're smart, and it sh- and he's cre- he looks creepy, even though the makeup is not so great. It, it, that's what actually adds to the creepiness to it. And his voice is all distorted, so it just sounds really like he's gargling on blood or something. Yeah, I, I love that scene. It always still freaks me out. I'm with you because the the tar man thing too, like the fact that he was using like a winch to open up the doors to get to Tina. Like it's there's something scary about the fact that they are able to communicate. And later with the half zombie, because then you can be like, like, why can't then you just talk to them? Why can't you be like, well, don't eat me? You know, like you clearly understand you know we can we clearly can communicate why can't we why can't you not but it's because it's like the overwhelming desire to to stop the pain which i love how they even get into that which we'll we'll get into that in a second but i love it it gives you like this motivation for the zombies like you never thought you needed a motivation for zombies but here you have it here and it's it's something so relatable it's it it hurts to be dead and and eating brains relieves that pain you're almost like oh Okay, well then I get it. You know, like you, you're doing something to relieve the pain of of your the decay. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the hero in their own mind. <laughs> they're the they're the they're the hero of their own story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god! I All was right. gonna say really quick though. Back back when the the little the little guy uh, when Ernie sees the little the little the little uh, zombie, I'm like, holy shit! Is that Bushwick Bill from the Ghetto Boys? <laughs> it's like some pulling some shit from back in the hip-hop days but uh he looks like bush bushwick bill to me i have no clue who bushwick bill is <laughs> oh really the ghetto boys <laughs> were this hip-hop group bushwick oh they and they were super into horror films by the way too all right well I'll have to, all right guys we'll have to look this up that'll be something we'll put on reddit too then maybe <laughs> i have no clue what this is <laughs> oh my god um all right so yeah there it is and more paramedics so back in the embalming room uh freddie and frank are just they're just getting worse right yeah. and uh, uh, Freddie explains his symptoms to Ernie, and Ernie knows that it's rigor mortis, <laughs> and stupidly says it out loud, so everyone freaks out. I'm not dead. Rigor mortis. Rigor mortis. I love Tom Matthews, man, so much. Uh, then another ambulance arrives, and the paramedics get attacked. I think that's what this is when one of them just gets so yeah, clearly clobbered. tackled. <laughs> I'm just like, it's a great shot. It looks yeah. painful. I don't know if the actor knew that he was just going to get straight. I mean, like freaking like football tackled, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a hard hit for sure. It's a hard hit. Um, Then so because of that, zombies are now starting to break into one of the sealed rooms. Uh, So they're trying to, you know, close up that room. You know, they run out of there. Oh, I got to close that room up. This is where Scuzz basically gets yanked out of the hole and into uh, and I love this shot it's 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 from it's from an outside point of view and scuzz like half his body's out there zombies are all around him uh that skeleton sort of zombie that they pull in is you know got her hands on him and i don't know man there's just something freaky about knowing that like half your body is in safety dry dry warm safety and then the other half of your body is like like it's raining it's dark it's you're just 
you're dead, you know, like you're, it, it's, it's such a freaky shot. It's, and I think as, as silly as this movie is, this and that, and as much as Dan O'Bannon wants to shit on the cinematographer, I think it's the cinematography that really elevates this movie. It's shots like that and shots like uh, when the lights on the ambulance get turned on and you see all the zombies there. It's these beautiful horror shots that are surrounded by silliness that yeah. really makes the movie just fantastic because it takes the horror seriously. And I think for me, when I like horror comedies, like I, you have to take the threat of the horror seriously. I like that, and then it's how sort of people's reaction is, and that's where the comedy comes from. Yeah, there's like there's little moments that amongst the uh, the fear that that lightened up just enough for you not to get too creeped out because Miguel has some great lines. I think every other word he says is "fuck" in this movie because <laughs> at one point he's like, "How many fucking windows you got in this place?" <laughs> where they're boarding yeah. up the windows, and uh, but yeah, it's it's it's. I agree with you. The, the, the cinematography is not to be shat on in my opinion either because I think it just it's really well done I do too I think it's it's I think it's fantastic just like the the special effects because uh, we're gonna see uh, so basically they pulling skulls ba- scuzz back into the room brings in that half zombie that was attached to him this gives them a chance to now interrogate that zombie so they they strap it down to um, a uh, like a gurney a table the embalming table and and it, it's kind of like it's interesting because it's kind of docile because it's already eaten some of scuzz's brain so it's a little bit docile and now it's communicative and they talk to it and they're like what do you want your brains it hurts to be alive and it's just it's so man it's so cool looking that's that that design that you know animatronic is just fantastic really just absolutely amazing yeah it reminds me of uh the the light in life force some of the the zombified mm-hmm. vampire corpses, you know? Yeah, like all like emaciated and drained of everything. Then we get a really cool scene of outside trash rises from the mud and... I love this shot of her attacking the homeless man because uh, as she comes out of the shadows, because she has the, what's amazing about this movie is all the characters actually have their own, I think, musical cues. And uh, Trash had her own song that was the one she danced to when she got naked. But then when she's in zombie form and she's coming out of the smoke, it's the same song, but it's in reverse. It's like, it's like, it, it, they, I don't know if they, did other things to it, but I believe the vocals are completely in reverse, and it's oh, cool. so dreamlike. And you know, like her just walking out of the smoke as as the homeless guy's watching her, and even the smoke is doing. I think they filmed that in reverse too. Like I think they had her walk backwards as the smoke kind of came up because it's kind of moving around. It's just it's unbelievably good and then on top of it the musical cue is like this hacked up reversed distorted version of her earlier cue just to show that she's still kind of in there that's what i I took away was that like her personality is still kind of in there but now it's warped and distorted you know and then she just ah, takes you know kills the the homeless guy you know right right there and that's kind of like all all that is but it's just a one of my favorite little shots slash scenes in the entire movie and it's because of the music it's because of the way it's shot it's just everything about it yeah i love it i think she's super creepy and uh and i like blue with the red hair and just really intense Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And her like her big mouth thing or something. Like she has an extra large mouth that it's almost like a snake, basically. Yeah. Um, they kind of really almost in in the fright night way. They they made her like more grotesque after she turned. Mm-hmm. I like that. I thought that was a kind of a neat little thing. Uh, then we get a really quick uh, shot of the police station, and basically words just getting out that two ambulances have been have gone missing over you know over by this area, and which we know is you know we know it's happening. But now we're we're seeing this is okay. This is how it's getting out. Even though you know they couldn't call the cops, this is how it's like starting to sort of you know get out. Uh, we have a little another little shot of uh, Chuck and Casey are back trapped at the Union of Medical Supply, and you know they're just kind of trying to console each other it's kind of like a throwaway scene but you know i think casey says like i never liked you but oh god please hold me you know something like that and i was just always like man she's a real bitch to <laughs> to chuck but you know, well, you know it's funny just... because she was originally considered for the role of trash and um and because okay. like you said that uh, that's where um dan o'bannon found her at a strip club and but she was tired of being naked all the time, she said. And so oh, okay. switched her up and gave her. And yeah, she's kind of she's like kind of unlikable because Chuck is he's he's dorky, but he's sweet. You know? Yes. I have yeah, more he, compassion for him. I'm like, screw you. Like, why are you being such a bitch to him? Yeah. Of, of every character in this movie, I got to say, Casey is is my least favorite. I just didn't see anything. I, I just wouldn't want to be friends with her. I got the sense that like, <laughs> you know, right? Like she's yeah, in this yeah. group, but I'm like, she's she would have been my least favorite. I wouldn't have hung out with her like yeah. on my own. If we were all going to like hang out and be like, oh, just me and Casey. Nah, I would rather hang out with Tina and Spider and Scuzz and whatnot. You know, yeah, like agreed. honestly, I think Spider was probably my favorite. He, he's the most likable of all of them I'd say and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right so let's see um okay so Bert suggests uh Frank and Freddie should be locked in the chapel so they don't uh you know hurt anyone because they know what's happening basically and uh you know Tina basically decides to stay with Freddie in the chapel uh, outside the police show up and they get attacked uh, as well and this is when it was just like one squad car so like two guys get out one guy's got the shotgun one guy's you know and they just they just get tackled I like that too I yeah. liked how they were you know they got a couple shots off but then just boom well and I always liked one guy the not the shotgun guy but the pistol guy he gets yeah. tackled and the, the hat kind of falls in his hand yes. and tries to throw his hat as one of the zombies yeah, yeah. And i was like and i thought that was a very honest reaction like you know like a person like you and i if we were getting we would anything you just throw your hat at them I, I thought that was it's weird but like all the actors do these really neat little things and i gotta i mean i gotta imagine it's dan o'bannon telling them what to do yeah um i know that that uh, in the interview you talked about you know they had extensive rehearsals and stuff and a lot of the scenes where it was everyone talking at once they were he was like they were extensively rehearsed to the point where because he's like okay you know you know your lines you know what you got to say but like he was like this word here what you know what this actress what spider is going to say that's the word that we have to like know like we have to hear that phrase you guys can all be talking but you gotta let them be louder and he's like it was because of the extensive rehearsals they pulled off these great like scenes where everyone's yelling but yet you're still getting all the pertinent information right yep. and, and yep. it seems chaotic it seems like it's a chaotic scene with a bunch of actors but it's actually a, an extremely choreographed and rehearsed scene oh, and yeah. uh, i and i think that's where where dan o'bannon's directing really really shines is he's able to make he's able to make chaos make sense you know yeah, what I mean? I, I totally agree. I think that he, he, uh, the scene right before where they're going in the chapel and there's so much chaos because they're in the Frank and Freddie are in such pain as they're moving them into the chapel and there's a lot going on, but you, you can see that 
everybody's clearly heard and and you know what you know like what everyone's saying or whatever amongst the 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 chaos that's ensuing right all all the pertinent information is is making it to the the viewer basically yeah um i and i never you know i never thought about that until he started just talking about with the process of putting all that together and i'm like yeah you're right there are a lot of scenes where like there's a lot of chaos happening but you still can track it it's still yeah. easily tracked totally. um so i was i thought that was really cool i was gonna say t- i was gonna say too that uh when they go into that chapel it's called the Wee Chapel of the Dawn. I just thought <laughs> yes. that was kind of funny. The Wee Chapel of the Dawn. I always look at the name every time they do it. I always, not giggle, but I'm always like, yeah, good old Wee Chapel. <laughs> yeah, I saw and, that too. And I was going to point out too, Freddie at this point is wearing his jacket, his his badass satin jacket. And I don't know if you noticed what it said on the back. Mm, no, I didn't check it. Okay, so this is important just in for uh, continuity's sake. So it says, it, it's, it's really stitched in this beautiful stitch font. It says, fuck you on the back of his jacket <laughs> but so uh apparently for the television version they couldn't use that clearly and but so in the television version for that scene uh it instead he's wearing a, a second jacket that was made that says television version on the back oh my god that's awesome <laughs> yeah. i want that one i want the one that says television, television. Version. yeah me too me too dude well if we ever hopefully we will get tom matthews on our show relatively soon and if we do we got to ask him where 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 that shirt jacket is oh my god that's awesome i love that so much fun fact fun fact yeah no it's not dude that's i think that's why people come to this i hope that's why people come to our podcast for the fun facts and send you know for the three, more- three hour <laughs> the three-hour tour. <laughs> I was gonna say the three-hour runtime, but uh, oh yeah, what were you gonna say? S- send more facts. <laughs> no, I was gonna say send more listeners. Oh yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> um, all right, so Bert and Ernie and Spider are trying to figure out what, like what to do. Um, Ernie mentions that he's got nitrous nitrous o- uh, oxide, which is I guess acid, right? Um, yeah. I don't know why he has that, but he has it. Uh, it's in a jar. Well, he's um, a Nazi. A Nazi's gonna yeah, have all his that's, tools. I have his toys, I guess. Oh, that sounded bad. Actually, no, I, I will say I will say you made the you, you wondered why he had that acid. Phantasm two makes a reference to acid at an embalming in a mortuary. So I'm wondering if mortuaries just had acid on hand to dissolve bodies. Or like yeah, like maybe yeah, I don't know, pieces or something like that. But yep. okay, that makes sense. Good old Phantasm get keeping us straight, man. Yep. <laughs> In the chapel, Freddie and Frank are dying and uh basically Tina is holding Freddie as he dies. And I love the shot where he's just like he opens his eyes and yeah. I love it because for that brief second you're like, oh crap, like Tina, you're holding a zombie. You know, yep. like let go of him because he's a zombie now but well, you know she doesn't see fast. him open his eyes yeah he turns this movie they turn fast yes and you know he see he starts talking to her and he's like i can i can see clearly now what you know what can help or whatever and she's like what and he's like your brains and <laughs> and it does a terrible i hate i will say this i hate post-production slow motion yeah. i can't stand I, I i if you if you don't film slow motion in the camera don't use it i i feel that's always been my my philosophy but um you can't do that there because it's the same shot they can't you know go from regular and then slow it down in the camera i don't believe so they had to use post-production uh slow-mo right there but yes she he uh freddie comes alive 
in her arms and uh, starts starts attacking her. Um, and then Bert and Spider come in basically to the rescue, but Frank Frank kind of sneaks out while the while that's all happening. You know, yeah. I think I think Frank's dead too at that point, but he's just got enough cognitive function to say I don't want to be a zombie. So he's like he just gets out of there. Um, and then basically Ernie, they're, they're trying to keep, you know, Freddie at bay and everything. And then Ernie eventually throws the acid into Freddie's eyes and, and melting them and thus, you know, blinding them. And, uh, when they're closing up the door, did you notice that Ernie gets his, like his foot broken when, when, you know, I guess they dropped the, the, the bench on his foot. Yeah. It's an interesting shot because when that, when, cause he says he broke his foot later on or leg or whatever. And so that's why he can't run with them to the car. Yeah. But it's a really weird shot because it happens so fast. And I almost feel like it might have been a mistake uh, or they didn't they didn't execute or maybe they 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 just end up going with that scene. Like they should have maybe gone with something a little more obvious to me uh, because yeah, it always was, it always felt to me. Yeah, like it always felt to me like one of those things where the actor was hurt in real life. So they had to put it in the movie so that they could have it, right? Like, yeah. that, that was always what I sort of took it as. I felt like um, it was kind of mysterious. Like, yeah, it was, like, weird. Because, yeah, it, it's weird, too, because, like, it happens right in front of your eyes, but they don't add any, like, breaking sound effects to it. A lot of times no. in movies, you know, they would do a cut to the foot being crushed or something, and it kind of just happens in front of your eyes, and you're like, oh, I, don't, I didn't see what happened there, and all of a sudden, like, he's limping or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting shot, and I think right after that... Um Miguel says something because uh, right after that exchange, Miguel goes, "Hey, fuck you!" <laughs> <laughs> hey, fuck you! <laughs> it's so good. I'm like, I wanted to track how many times he said the word "fuck," but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it is a weird. It, it's a great little exchange because when Ernie hits him in the face with the acid, too, it's like Ernie's okay. Knowing that he's a, a Nazi is fucked up, but he's still a cool character outside of that. If that's possible, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I know, and I'm. I'm. You're right. It's it's weird. It's weird to talk about Ernie now in, in a positive light, knowing he's supposed to be an ex-Nazi. But I mean, yeah, dude. If you didn't know that, if you if you didn't know that, you know, you track his character as being a a, a nice guy. It's God. That's what I love about this movie, man. There's a whole new layer to it now that I right. I want to like go back and be like, okay, you watch Ernie and you really like him. You like him as a character, but then you're like, okay, but he was a Nazi the whole time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's like, you're, yeah, it's, it's crazy, dude. It's, it's crazy. That's, but I love the fact that they even gave him that background, that backstory. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's super cool. All right. So now that Ernie's, you know, foot's messed up, Bert and Spider decide to go for the cop car. They're like, hey, the keys are still in the ignition. We're going to go for the cop car. We're going to bring it back and you guys are going to load in. We're going to get the fuck out of Dodge. All right. Clearly that's, that's our game plan. So Bert and Spider, basically, they run out the door. Tina closes it behind him. It's, I love the shot because there's so many zombies out there, and they're yeah. just, like, whacking them away and everything. And they get into the cop car. They try to make their way back to the the door, but they can't. They just It's just it's impossible. They can't do yeah. it. They try. And Tina's like, yeah, what's happening? But at least Ernie knows. He's like, when they drive away, he's like, they're going for help. Like, he right away knows Bert's not just abandoning him. He knows that. And I like that. You know, well, I you, like you, that. I was gonna say too, not to not to cut you off, but uh, right before they go out, that's when Ernie says to Bert, uh, he's like, you know, you remember how I said you owed me one, and and then when they get and when they go out there, it's such a great moment uh, where Tina's freaking out, watching them through that the the window, 
and Ernie's face is he acts that scene so well because he goes through a myriad of emotions where he realizes at that point they're they're screwed. Yeah, they're fucked. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and and I do like that too. I, I like we said earlier. I like that he was like, yeah, you know, that's how you're gonna repay me. You're gonna just make it out of here alive. This this it's this movie's about friends versus zombies, and that's what I dig. No matter no matter what your history is or your past, uh, you know, these these are still friends. So even even though I, I'm not saying Nazis should ever be uh, uh, forgiven <laughs> for what they did, no. Um, but but Bert and Ernie, I, I gotta assume that Bert doesn't know because he seems too much like a an all American kind of guy that I don't think he he probably knows anything about Ernie's past. I would. No. And I think uh, what I think what I said earlier was Dan O'Bannon said he was like a Nazi in hiding, so uh, it was like yeah. an at pupil kind of thing where you know, right. Like, and this was back in the eighties, like yeah, there were still like Nazis alive back in the eighties, and yeah. yeah, they were in hiding, and and you didn't want to like announce yourself essentially. And so Bert and Spider are in the car, they don't really make it too far because there's already like zombies on the street like running around. <laughs> so they go back to they have to just basically drive to the Unita Medical Supply Company, and I love it when <laughs> when they get out of the car. And I think Bert's gonna try to go somewhere else, but then that's when when Spider goes this way, you stupid honky. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't I they love it when he called, called him a honky? Well, first of all, they crash the car into the wall, yeah. which sets the car yeah. on fire, uh, which is hilarious. Yeah, and, and, and Miguel, it, it, it actually hilarious. blows up. In, in the car, uh, it happens when they're inside because they get into the medical supply company. But you hear the car explode, and uh, Bert's like, "Oh, my car's right, you know, right out there too." And then, boom, they both explode, and you're like, "Okay." And it's it's effective because it's just you know the light coming in through the window, and they don't actually yeah. have to show the car explode, but they effectively conveyed that almost as well as Fright Night conveyed uh, uh, Brewster's car getting destroyed, even though you actually don't see it. Yeah, and you don't need to see it, which is great. It's subtle. It's off camera. Uh, I, I did write down. At one point, because Miguel was like, you know, when when Bert says we're not going back for them, or we gotta we gotta get out of here, and Miguel's like, those are my friends back there, and I'm like, wait, you have you have one friend back there. Well, I guess technically, maybe he thought Freddie was worth saving. I don't know. Maybe yeah, just uh, yeah, I guess. Or hey, he's brought he's clearly not accepting the fact that all of his friends are dead. Uh, That's true. Essentially, That's true. <laughs> you okay. know. Okay, I get that. So the cars exploded. So now what we have is. Uh, um, Bert, Spider, Casey, and Chuck are trapped in the Unita Medical Supplies Company across the street. Uh, uh, Freddy is breaking out of the chapel. Um, Tina and Ernie are stuck in the embalming room, essentially, <clears throat> which which is locked. But you see that you know it's not it's easily broken. So so Tina and Ernie decide to go up up into the attic above the embalming room. Now this was suggested earlier by by Burn uh, by Ernie, and I yeah. think this is when Spider said, "Fuck you, man! I'm not I'm not basically oh, yeah. going on the roof uh, and and trapping yourself there." It's it's almost the reverse Night of the Living Dead where. Uh, Ben doesn't want to go into the basement because it's a trap. There's no other way in or out. And the uh-huh. same thing, Spider's like, I don't want to go into the the attic. This is like how it's different. It's like one movie goes to the basement, one movie goes to the attic. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about that until it came out of my mouth right now, essentially. <laughs> um, but so Tina and Ernie, uh, basically they go up into the attic right as uh, uh, Freddy busts through the door. Then we get a nice, it's sweet, it's 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 heartwarming, weird scene of yeah. now Frank putting himself into the crematorium and cremating himself, and this, 
amazing song. One of my favorite songs in the burn, burn, you know, this this crazy song about burning and stuff. It's yeah. uh, this movie's insane. The soundtrack's insane <laughs> and it's just it's it's like lightning in a bottle. Like a lot of these things just should not have even worked on their own, but you just for some reason it just works. Everything just works and how heart like heartwarming it tugs at the heartstrings that that Frank puts his you know his ring on that little thing you know his wedding ring next to the the, the handle or whatever it is and I'm like you just you don't normally get scenes like this you don't normally get character moments like this in a zombie movie right I mean am I yeah. wrong about that no because at this point you know that that these zombies are not the typical Romero esque zombies like brainless. So they have thoughts and, and he's, he has enough thoughts to end his own life versus going on a rampage and, and eating people. And it's so heartfelt because he knows that he's dead. Um, you know, that he knows that there's nothing he can do about it. And the fact that he puts himself inside the, uh, inside of the oven and cremates himself, it's even more dramatic. Cause you're like, Oh my God, this guy is, he knows what he's about to do to himself. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's a moment that maybe other horror films wouldn't show, but it, they take the time in a third in a ninety minute movie. It's it's a maybe a two minute scene, but it's so effective. I agree with you. In adding insult to injury, like you hear him scream because you also know that they feel pain from being yeah. dead. So it's not like like you're a zombie and then you just don't feel anything. Like they no. they still feel it. And like that took some that took some guts. That took some cojones on on. Be brave, Frank. God damn it. <laughs> he finally was brave be a man frank be a man actually you know what that's really cool that he was finally brave and what he did was brave and heroic because he chose not to to become you know one of the undead that was you know what frank man dude you 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 were awesome buddy you were awesome good thing you get resurrected in part two sort of <laughs> in, a, in a weird sort of way yeah in a weird sort of way well he uh, inadvertently released more uh toxins into the uh, environment though that's, so that's true a- that's true but uh, that's uh, we won't talk about that <laughs> yeah. um outside the mortuary another bunch of cops uh they all get taken out and then you basically you see how you know the the the, the zombies are just the helicopters flying overhead you know they the helicopters witness what's happened so everyone knows what's happening but basically the police closed down like a whole block and everything yeah. um Back in inside, you need a medical facility. Bert, Spider, Casey, and Chuck decide they need to go in the basement to use the phone. Um, Ernie and Tina are trapped uh, back in the mortuary. Ernie and Tina are trapped in the attic. It's kind of like it's ramping up, so it's kind of jumping back and forth really quick now. Um, they're uh, they're t- trapped in the attic while Freddy basically he's harassing them uh, downstairs, yeah. and he's like saying like I can smell your brains, and then he's like uh, I love he's like I I knocked my hand completely off, Tina. <laughs> Uh, Tina. <laughs> it's so great. It's it's crazy. I love you can smell their brains and everything. And uh, there's this cool kind of implication that Ernie is willing is is he knows it's futile to try to stop Freddie if he comes up. And he's he's kind of holding Tina. Tina's screaming, and he's already starting to contemplate like if this goes south, I'm gonna shoot her. And it's not it's to save her, save her from just getting eaten by her fucking ex boyfriend. And it's like again, we know that he's a Nazi and he sucks, right? But like if we take that out of the equation, fucking. Ernie's awesome, right? Well, he and and that uh, Beverly Randolph had told me too in that interview that was essentially improvised using the gun on her 
Like he, that's that awesome. wasn't scripted. It was it was like, you know, that was a, a choice on his part, which is so effective. So effective. It's 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 a little it's a little insight into you know and and I mean I don't I don't want to say that this is like a, a Nazi redemption story. Like I don't want to say that his character is is being redeemed for maybe bad things that he did. But like as a viewer, we did not see any of the stuff that he did before, so we don't know how quote unquote he how bad he was before, and we can only really go with what they're showing us. And I I, I think that you know his character Frank uh, uh, Ernie is uh, is a compassionate person. It seems like well yeah. So he he. Uh, I think I said that too in the in Dan O'Bannon had intended that when the half zombie was revealing why they do what they do, he seems surprised and ashamed. So, uh, yeah, because he know. knows that dead bodies can feel pain. Yes, exactly. And you can look, you can always, you can always attempt to turn your life around even after you've done horrible things. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so back at Unita, the in order to go to the basement, uh, they know they have to deal with Tarman. So they do another like setup. But you know, this time Bert is ready. And right when Tarman walks like out the door, Bert just knocks his clock, clocks his head right off. And uh, I think it even hits like spider or somebody. It does. Uh, right it's behind. Such a, <laughs> I love that scene when he hits. He, it's a baseball bat that he uses, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. apparently he used a lead pipe in other scenes in the movie yeah uh, but he wanted to use a real lead pipe but dan o'bannon was worried because clue was frequently angry and had like violent outbursts on yep. set <laughs> so yeah, well clue was specifically angry at dan o'bannon because uh according to dan o'bannon clue was the last person to get brought on and he literally showed up on set like dan o'bannon didn't actually cast him he just showed up on set and not about like he knew he was coming right um yeah and, uh, um, you know, so the scene that the first scene that he had to work on with Clue was later in the movie. I think it was when they had he said they had to have high energy and everything. Um, but, you know, this was Clue's first day and he hadn't like sort of ramped up to that high level of energy yet. And so Dan O'Bannon kind of did this like a little bit of a prank, a little bit of a, of a jerk move to kind of get Clue amped up. Okay. And apparently it worked. But then since it was the first day of shooting, it just set the tone for for their relationship but apparently uh, uh dan o'bannon said that when they saw the the premiere when clue saw the premiere he just gave him a big hug afterwards because he you know he saw everything yes work. but yeah. yeah there was he did relate one scene where uh uh you know clue would always have that metal pipe and he liked the the real metal one because the rubber just didn't feel right in his hands and dan o'bannon was like oh man he's gonna use it on me <laughs> but uh yeah and it was but it was again another great shot there's uh you know the the, the actor the tar man comes out then they do a cut of when he knocks the head off, and it's, you know, obviously another prosthetic piece, but it's another great headless, bo- like, full, fully in-camera tar man now, but with no head and still, like, you know, a person moving around inside of him. And you can't tell where the shoulders are higher because, you know, they're blocking the head. Yeah. It's Nowadays, it would just be so easily done with CGI, but, but back then, they had to do it, like, practically, and it was in full-on daylight or not daylight but full-on light in the medical facility full shot on the camera uh and it looks fantastic right just unbelievable headless tar man yeah yeah it's it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie yeah me too so they go into uh the basement um 
and Bert calls the police and, and talks to talks to one of them that are in the squad car. And and now it kind of like cuts back to them. Like the, the cops are like, what's going on? We got a quarantine happening. But then they all get attacked. Like zombies attack them. Uh, trash attacks that guy that he's talking to on the phone. And everyone's like, what's going on? What's going on? And Bert just holds the phone, you know, up in the air. And you can just hear everyone getting, you know, killed and attacked and eaten and all that kind of stuff. So Bert's like, okie dokie, time to call the military. And so he calls calls the, the the number on the canister uh we cut to colonel glover who's in um who's in bed gets woken up from bed and he's like okay when did this happen what's going on you only get his side of the conversation and he's taking down notes and i, I you know that kind of stuff he's like okay we have contingencies for this and all that kind of stuff and you know even even bert's like they say they have a contingency plan for this yeah he's so all relieved uh, <laughs> yeah he's all relieved everyone's kind of all relieved and uh you know colonel glover basically goes into his his room uh, where all the computers are and uh, you know, tells the president what's going on and what we got to do and everyone's sort of waiting with bated breath and then we get a shot of like this young military kid in one of these like I don't know like long range cannons or something I don't know military stuff but it's yeah. like gi- a giant cannon right yeah. and it's in the colorado rockies or something like that and i love these these shots of the miniatures I, it's a miniature that they use i love that uh i love that shot that they have of colorado with the radar dishes you know kind yeah. of over top of the it's city really cool. it's such a cool shot um later on when the bomb goes off the houses i love that shot but basically Colonel Glover, their contingency plan is to just destroy 20 square blocks. Uh, with, and they said, you know, 4,000 people are dead, but they fire on, they basically fire on Louisville, Kentucky with a high velocity, you know, bomb, whatever it is. When I was a kid, I thought it was a nuke, but it, it's not a nuke. Uh, it would have, you know, there would have been radiation and everything. But a cool shot of like houses with their, you know, shingles getting blown off and everything. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a great miniature. It's another great miniature set and uh you know and then the colonel's talking on the phone he's like you know this is this is good you know only 20 square blocks destroyed you know we we pretty much were right on target only four thousand people dead we can just chalk this up to to whatever and he's like yeah people are complaining you know about blah blah or he's like there's fires and everything but you know the rain should put it out and he's like and he's people are complaining about burning skin but yeah it really shouldn't be anything and that's how it ends dude like right right before that is when um uh, freddie finally gets through the the the, yeah, uh, yeah gets through the attic and and it's another slow-mo shot and he uses three slow-mo shots i think in this movie the one is in the very beginning uh when they open up the canister the second one is when he says brains and he turns in the chapel and then the third one is when he kind of leans forward like leaps into oh, the yeah. attic yeah that up through scene the attic. particularly that used to give me that used to scare the crap out of me back in the day when I was a kid because it's like this Gina, da, 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 da. and Friday the Thirteenth used a lot of that in their movies too back in the in the mid eighties and that slow mo kind of shot. Yeah. I just I love that scene in particular. I just had to you know point that out. I do too. And correct me if I'm wrong. Do you hear a gunshot go off when when it's a uh, slow motion and it kind of pauses, or did my brain just put that in and infer it? I. Th- I don't know. I mean, I didn't hear. I don't remember hearing it when I watched it the other night. But um, 
but I'd have to go back and rewatch it. I think that's my brain kind of retconning it or, or okay. something. But yeah, because he jumps up and the gun's kind of already pointing at Tina and, and Freddy jumps up. But then it does it yeah it does that slow motion, but then it pauses. Yeah. And I swear to God, I remember then on the pause, you like there's a beat and then you hear the gun uh, go off and, you know, implying that he did, you know, shoot Tina. But everyone's dead and, and all all of our characters are dead and the ending is is so bleak but i like you like we said earlier it's a small story but it has kind of like an epic scale to it and i love the way that at the end i love the the use of miniatures and everything because this is a low budget film they couldn't actually film uh, you know like on some military thing you know but it, everything is so effective and and we get some great it's one i'm always I, it's such a weird I, I, credits at the end because they show you highlights from the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, that was not outtakes, only, not bloopers. No, <laughs> they're highlights. Like they do a recap, almost like a yeah. montage. And you're yeah. so two things. Two things that I took issue with. I st- and it doesn't take away at all my love of this movie. But one, having Linnea Quigley uh, show some sort of damage on her body that would have been. I think that's important to have. And then two, reusing the same lame skeleton with his eyes opening and the do you want a party, the exact same scene. It, it wasn't like they shot it from a different angle or used a slightly different, like a, an outtake or something. They used the exact same scene, maybe to make it a complete 90-minute movie versus an 89-minute movie, and maybe that was a thing back then. It had to be 90 minutes. I don't know. But yeah, I'm like, why? That's an interesting choice to do like a, a basically a MTV music video at the end of the movie. Yeah, and I love it when movies do outtakes at the yeah, end, you know, yeah, and, and, and and goofs and, and bloopers and stuff. And yeah. but rarely, rarely do you see a movie just recap itself in no. the, the, the credits. Like, in case you missed it, here's what the movie was about. Yeah, yeah, it was really odd. It's really so. I will do a little bit of my recap uh, to re- to do to piggyback on that recap. I found the full X-ray or uh, eye exam homage to Bert. It, it inside the office. It says Bert is a slave driver and a cheap son of a bitch who's going bald too. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> and That's for hilarious. you, for you, fun, you know. Uh, Fun listeners out there, that's around the 17-minute mark. So, anyways, and did you know that the rabid weasels, the scene where the bot, the the pieces of the zombies and the dogs are in the plastic bags, was those were actually those little wind-up monkeys with the symbols. Yep. And yep. that was kind of cool. And then finally, my little fun go on IMDb uh, <laughs> comment thing is Leslie Nielsen was originally supposed to uh, offered the role of Bert for Return of the Living Dead. Oh, interesting, because they did say, um, uh, he was saying we need somebody who's, like, older but still good-looking, but the problem was they were, like, an older male, good-looking, capable, but still, you know, looking kind of young and sharp, and they are like, the problem is we, the budget just didn't allow for, like, a high-end, quote-unquote, actor, but, I mean, yeah. I think I think Clue is, is just amazing in this movie. I, I oh, don't, yeah. I've, I've only ever seen him in this and uh, Feast, you know, because uh, he was in because his son directed it, so he's in Feast as well. Um, and he's you know he's whatever he's fine in Feast, but this I love him in this. Well, he was in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, the the one Nightmare on Elm Street that I've seen probably like once. Yeah, well, and there's no reason to really see it again, in my opinion. It, I know unless, it was not my favorite one, unless you really want to know, uh, like. 
Hollywood's take on homosexuality back in the day. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Sa- sadly, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, uh, he was in a he was. I mean, he if you go if you look up his IMDb, he's been in so many great things from television and movie. The guy has been in a ton of stuff. I knew him initially from a Chuck Norris movie called The Force of One, which is a really oh. great Chuck Norris movie. Uh, we got to do a Chuck Norris movie on our on our podcast at some point, <laughs> like Invasion USA or something. Anyways, he's been in a myriad of things. Like he's over 165 movies and television appearances. So the guy is yeah. He's great to, to the to, but I to me he'll always be Bert. Yes, he'll always be Bert, and and Frank Calfa will always be Ernie <laughs> yes. to me. And I will, and even though I know the fun fact about or not so fun fact that he was an uh, ex former Nazi, it doesn't change the fact that he puts out a stand up awesome performance. I know, dude. I'm I'm really sitting with that man. Yeah. Like I'm really sitting with that, and it doesn't sound too unfamiliar. So I must have heard it before, but I've always liked the Ernie character so much that I guess I have just a hard time just reconciling that. Right? That yeah. that his his history was bad, but like you said. People can people can change. People can can redeem themselves, and maybe you know maybe this is Ernie's redemption story. You know, maybe this is cool what gets arc. him into heaven. Basically, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got a cool arc. He does. He, he does have a really really cool arc. Uh, it's it's a great movie. But and I know you guys know what I think. Uh, I love it. I think it holds up. Um, I I think it's it's a fun movie. It's always a fun movie. I think the special effects hold up even in 2019. Uh, some wonkiness here and there. I still think it really overall holds up. The musical score is great. The cinematography is great. The zombie kills are great. The characters are great. The costumes are great. I love this movie, and it this our conversation. If I could even love it more, it made me love the movie more. Like, like it just elevates my love for this movie with, with this conversation here. Even though we find out that Ernie has a has a checkered past. So, what what do you think, buddy? How how does it hold up for you? Is it still is it still as good as you remember it to be? Well, when was the last time you've seen it? Do you remember? I I would say it's been about five years since I last saw it, but it completely holds up for me one hundred percent. I said on another podcast once that um. I think every 80s movie is flawed in some way, uh, with the exception of maybe Back to the Future or, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But um, every 80s movie has its enough things for you to nitpick it at. And that's I just don't go there. I I, I am more the mindset of like I love if I'll let go of all those things if the movie at its core is a really good movie. And this, to me, is a really good movie at its core. Every little, there, yeah, little things here and there. I'm like, nah, well, that could have been better. Nah. Same can be said for Fright Night, which is absolutely one of my most favorite movies of all time. But what holds true is the story, the acting, the music, uh, the way it's shot. All that stuff holds up. And it, at the end of the day... 90 minutes of wham bam thank you ma'am it moves quickly it's a it's a yeah. fast-paced film it's 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 moves from one scene to the next very quickly there's there's nothing on the ground that's like you know throw away you know yeah. it's it's a great it's a great crafted film and i love it i i highly recommend it and just just get the screen factory blu-ray the transfer is outstanding and there's a two-hour documentary at, uh, which is 
longer than the movie itself. So if, if you like the movie, check that out for sure. I would highly recommend that. And um, just so you guys know, we mentioned it earlier, but yeah, we're going to be doing Return of the Living Dead Part 2 uh, next. And that we also are going off of the Scream Factory um, Blu-ray for that one as well. I, I haven't watched, I actually haven't seen that one in I'd say 15 to 20 years so I'm very excited to watch Return of the Living Dead Part 2 but I'm I personally am bringing a lot a lot of nostalgia to that viewing and I'm curious to see how it holds up and I do want to watch the making of on that because I really don't know much about the behind the scenes on that movie yeah I'm excited to watch that one I haven't equally haven't seen that one in a very long time so I'll be watching it with open very open arms, hoping that uh, my my uh, my childhood dreams will not get squashed. My childhood memories, <laughs> but I'm thinking they might be. Yeah, full disclosure: we all know that Return of the Living Dead Part Two is not supposed to be as good as the first one, or not supposed to be, but we all know it isn't. So it'll be interesting to see how how bad it it truly is. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, this was fun, dude. This was all so much fun. I always love it. Like, like I said, dude, this is, I love talking about these movies for pushing three hours, man. Like how often does that even happen? We don't even talk about, we don't even talk to that, that much one-on-one about other things. So <laughs> just to be able to talk about Return of the Living Dead for almost three hours is awesome. Well, I was going to say, how often does that happen? I'd say, well, every two weeks it happens yeah, it talk th- three hours about a movie so. <laughs> sometimes even yep. longer <laughs> yep i think uh yeah i think fright night's gonna have so uh, is gonna have our uh a gold star for being the longest one <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see we're curious curious to see which one will will top it so um yeah so until then guys uh zach where can we find you online and on the podcast world you can find me online at Instagram at Zach Schaefer, Z-A-K-S-H-A-F-F-E-R, and Twitter at Zach Schaefer VO. And then in the podcasting world, besides podcasting after dark, I'm also on $2 Late Fee. Uh, you can go to $2LateFee.com or check out $2 Late Fee on Instagram, and that's T-W-O. How about you, Corey? <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I love $2 late fee. I am current on all the episodes, and they are all very, very good. So I highly recommend that one. Um, you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram at Corey Nation. And podcast-wise, I'm on a couple podcasts here in the BFOP network. I'm on, obviously, Podcast After Dark with my buddy Zach that you're listening to right now. And I'm on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast with Adam. And occasionally you can hear me on the Blast From Our Past podcast. And I just launched a a comic book podcast with my buddy Tess. And it's called Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast, uh, or OCD Podcast for short. And you can find everything, everything, all the podcasts we're talking about here, Zach's $2 late fee, uh, Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast, um, everything on the BFOP Network, uh, Podcast After Dark, Cartwright, and Blast From Our Past. Every one of them are on Apple Podcasts. We're all on Spotify. And if you can give us any kind of uh, ratings, that would be wonderful. But 
Real quick, let's tell you what we got going on at the Podcasting After Dark Patreon page. We have, right now, we have an interview with Stephen Jeffries, who plays Evil Ed in Fright Night. We have an hour-long interview, and we have two episodes of our freeform uh, conversational show that Zach and I do once a month, because these these shows, you know, are kind of structured. We have to go by the movie and everything, but there's there's all kinds of other stuff we want to talk about, too, So, and we're trying to keep these episodes sort of like evergreen. Uh, so our freeform wrap up after dark show is more of a just a discussion with me and Zach. Um, every month we do one a month, and we talk about what's coming up. We talk about the movies, how they were perceived in the past, like our meaning the ones we just did. Uh, we talk about everything and you know horror, mostly horror stuff, all podcasts after dark related sort of things. But if you guys want to check that out, we're on Patreon at Podcasting After Dark, and all proceeds go to help keeping the lights on at the studio. Uh, server costs, you know, equipment upgrade, just all that kind of stuff. So we can keep producing more content uh, for you guys. And please make sure you follow us on Reddit, uh, follow Podcasting After Dark on Reddit, Facebook, and Instagram. And that's where you can stay up to date. We post a lot of supplemental materials um, to the Reddit page and sometimes to the Facebook page. Like, you know, if we talk about something in, in this podcast, well, I'll try to post it on the Reddit page so you can have an idea. Um, we did that with the Fright Night uh, episode. We Multiple times we mentioned a YouTube video that we kind of referenced. So I posted that YouTube video on, on the Podcast After Dark Reddit page. And it's just a way to kind of keep in touch with us and, and keep the conversation going. We don't don't want this to always just be Zach and I talking about our favorite horror movies. We want input from you guys. We want to know what you thought of these. Uh, our buddy Tony, he's always commenting on on our posts, and we love it, man. We love hearing what you guys think of these movies as well. And then please tell us, like, hey, if you like Return of the Living Dead, I recommend you check this zombie movie out. Like, we want that. We want this to be a conversation about these movies that we love. Yeah, uh, try to surprise us with something that we don't know about. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Zombie flicks are definitely in our wheelhouse. So, uh, um, you know, that being said, thank you for everything, guys. You, you're what uh, you're you're what gets us going. We love doing this, but we love having the interaction with fans as well. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's so much fun. It's so much fun, and we hope you guys love it just as much as we do. And we appreciate all the love and support that you've given us. So. Until next time, two weeks from now, we'll, it's our it's October. It's our Return of the Living Dead month with our retrospective. And I think we I would have added Return of the Living Dead Part 3 to this mix at some point, but I don't think you can find an unrated version anywhere. Maybe there's a special Blu-ray. I don't know. I haven't, like, but it's not streaming. I don't think Shout Factory has it. I don't think they're putting one out, but I need to track down uh, Part 3 uh, unrated if I can find it. Oh, I will find it for you. Yeah, yeah. You do that. And until two weeks from now, send more subscribers. <laughs> <laughs>Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark.
Hey guys, this is Brent. And this is Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five podcast. We want to let you know about some Halloween-themed episodes that we're doing throughout the month of October. Frightening the Friday Five Fright Fest. Hey guys, don't forget about the prizes. Hey, thanks, Ghoul. Yeah, thanks a lot, little guy. We have some really cool prize packs for each episode that we're going to do during this Fright Fest. That's right. We're going to pack them full of some 80s, 90s nostalgia, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Join us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we will see you there. 